Hello. It's a dog barking day over here. Hmm. Dogs in the neighborhood are upset about something. Hmm. What do they barking? know? What do they know that we don't know? No, they know something. They're barking and barking. My dog's barking back. Hmm. I don't trust them. What they say? My dogs are barking, they My say. My dogs are barking. Um, it's about feet. You got to Google for my dogs are barking feet to figure out that one. Or uh, net worth. Mm-hmm. Wiki dog feet. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't have too much this week. Well, none of us did any of our homework. We don't have any follow-up. Your lizard's still sleeping. Oh, he's so sleepy. You know, know what I'm saying? Mm. Your lizard. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Say no more. Say no more. <laughs> no, I had a, my only little bit of follow-up and spoiler-free, hopefully. Um, uh, are you feeling more confident about Watchmen? You, your, recent, your most recent statement on it, I believe, was that you feel like they're still walking the line. We're now, what, four or five episodes in? I feel like they're walking the line on whether you need, what kind of knowledge you need to go into the show with. Oh, yeah, uh, fair. But then this most recent episode, they... It's confusing me. This most recent episode, which I liked, but it's like the, what I assume is supposed to be a, a revelatory climax of the episode was information that anybody that's familiar with the series already knows. So it's like, that's not for people who know the story. Mm-hmm. That's, but if you didn't know the story up to this point, you'd be very confused. I'd be mm-hmm. like, anyway. Yeah. It's um, the, the thing that annoyed me. I just, I just tweeted this. In fact, right before the show, the only thing that bothered me about the most recent episode was they kept doing brief flashbacks to earlier scenes in the same episode and it was totally unnecessary. Hmm. Like it, it wasn't any ambiguity in the regular show as they were airing it about the, the events the event. or like why this is relevant or whatever. And they were like, just so you know, just so you're following it, it will give you a brief fractional second frame or two from the scene that you saw 10 minutes earlier. It's like, yeah, I know I get it. I see the connection and they did it multiple times and it was really hmm. bothering me. <clears throat> hmm. but anyway i'm still enjoying the show um and i i like this most recent episode which there was two i watched two tv episodes i think in the same day both of which used that old trope of covers of well-known uh <laughs> songs from past decades mm-hmm. and i liked it both times hmm. i'm a sucker for that yeah. The other one, surprisingly, was The Morning Show, which I started watching, and they s- opened an episode with a, if I describe it, it will be seemingly silly cover of a slightly older song. I was with them the whole way. I'm like, good. I get mm-hmm. it. I'm with you. I enjoy it. And then Watchmen did it, and I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Maybe I'm easy that way. That can be that can be very effective, or it can be deeply played. Somewhere, I will try to find this for notes, but... Um... I think it's these guys who do a film podcast, but they using just yeah, the audio. trailer explanation. Yeah, thing. do you yep. remember what that was from? Oh, God, I would have trouble googling that. It was some like YouTube channel that does film related stuff. Yeah, and they made like the world's most like generic, um, like act- especially like, action movie trailer, right? Yeah. So where there's nothing on the screen except for words describing <laughs> it's like like the Fountains of Wayne Hotline. You ever heard that one? Mm-mm. Oh, you got to Google that right now, right okay. now. All right. Um, Fountains of Wayne Hotline. It's probably too long for you to listen to, but we'll put it in the show well, notes. I'll put it in show notes. Um, yeah, I um, I don't know. I have said enough. I, I, I think it's amazing. I think it's some seriously high quality Lindelof content. 
it's very uh it's very assured and uh it's really it's so my jam can can you imagine uh speaking of you you said this uh last week how Lindelof was getting so much better with each new thing that he does mm-hmm. like the fact that I, hang on, I don't want to spoil things but there's there is a b plot line that it seems mysterious that it doesn't get stretched out for 20 seasons like what's happening with that famous actor who's in this b plot line right they walk right through up to here we are in episode five or whatever and they you know more or less confirm what many people had suspected like it's no yes. big like they're just continuing to tell a story they felt no reason to drag it out they felt no reason to do something weird mm-hmm. uh it and it's still interesting because it you know it doesn't explain everything but it doesn't leave you hanging like oh is the is the thing that I think is going on really going on? And halfway through a nine episode thing, they say, "Yeah, there's more to it, obviously." But yeah, so that was nice. I wonder if that comes partly out of. Um, uh, so, if you hadn't listened to the episode, a couple couple episodes of Do by Friday ago, whenever John was on, as you listen to this, but I think that's when Max was talking about, um, and I haven't tracked this down on my own independently, but but basically that. I guess ABC or the production company or whoever had like demanded more episodes of Lost. Basically, there was just a whole cock up with the way that he and his team wanted to do the show versus how they were going to be able to do it with ABC. And that it doesn't explain away everything that's frustrating about Lost, but a lot of what's frustrating about Lost can be written down to, you know, understandable. It's a business, right? They have their needs as a network or as a production company or whatever. I wonder if having more control over something like The Leftovers, having more control over something like Watchmen, you know, he and his... I don't like that great man theory where we always, you know, just say it's this one person. But the team that made uh, Watchmen, they didn't feel the need to do that. There's going to be plenty more mysteries and puzzles. And like, you're going to find out as much as you need to know to be where we want you to be with the story right now. Right. And like, you know, it isn't like, oh gosh, you know, what are the polar bears? What are the magnets? What's the deal with the feet? You know, all that stuff where it's just, there's such a dump of mystery boxes that may or may not go anywhere. But what I love, they talked about this again, that podcast I love, The Watch. They talked about this on the most recent episode of The Watch in discussing Watchmen is that, and, you know, again, one of the guys is a showrunner for a show that's coming to USA, I think, next year. And so he's very much watching this, you know, from the POV of somebody who's gone through the difficult process of making a TV show. And they just talk about, like, how, I mean, it's difficult mode, what, what they're trying to do with Watchmen. And that it's, it isn't as though you solve this one puzzle and oh, now you understand everything. It's that there's there's MacGuffins inside of MacGuffins. And like, yes, you, you're going to want to learn what's going on with the guy in the place, with the thing. Like, yeah, everybody's curious to be, you know, where is he? Is he who we think he is? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And a little bit of time that's come out, and now it's out. But there, it's not like we're out of questions about what's happening. And as with The Leftovers, there, there's so much in common with The Leftovers, obviously. It's, I mean... <sighs> We're not going to solve the puzzle of, quote unquote, what happened here. And maybe we will, maybe we won't. But the journey that we take along the way to, you know, to get through this story and to, you know, walk through these mysteries and these questions, it really, you ultimately, it's the friends you made along the way. Literally, the characters and how they are dealing with these very, to us, very, very strange situations. Yeah, this was the most leftovers like episode with uh with uh, our mirror friend. Yes, I, I totally that, agree. That could have that could have been an episode of the leftovers, especially the ending part. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. And like I, I think I said this in Slack to probably to Dr. Don, but you know, this, this is a show. What did I say? I, I forget what I said, but I said something like this is a show about, obviously it's very heavily about legacy. Um, and it's, it's about, you know, trying to figure out who we are and, and what our history is. And to hear Lindelof talk about it, I mean, he's very interested um, and what, God, what's that wonderful phrase with the, like basically trauma is something that you can inherit, even if it wasn't your trauma. I mean, like hereditary, they, they said on the show, it was like hereditary trauma or yeah, something. Yeah, right. So, and like, but the, all these themes that could be so heavy handed, I feel like are handled so deftly, especially you look at somebody like Angela, the character of, you know, Sister Knight. And obviously as the kind of the lead character on the show, a lot of this is focused on her, but all of these themes really come together in a way that does not, to me, does not feel tacked on. Where if you described this show to somebody, it would sound really pretentious and deliberately difficult, but it's not. It comes off very deft. And on, and on top of it all, again, to quote the guys from um, The Watch, at, at the heart of it, like at the, at the like, you know, first level, <laughs> you know, the, the bottom floor of this show is a really good cop show. Like it's, it's a really good cop show with all this other wackadoo stuff that happens, but the basic, like, you know, what's going on with Jean Smart is a, it's a real good story. And to watch her and her, uh, the way that she interacts with Angela, the way she interacts with, what's her name? Uh, the Vietnamese lady is who, or whatever her name is. I don't know. Enough said, but, uh, I, it's, it's so I've watched every single episode of the show now. I think I've watched at least twice because, boy, there's sure a lot going on. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, The Boys on uh, Amazon, mm -hmm. which has a terrible title. Um, it's another show. I mean, obviously, the, the Boys owes so much to Watchmen and every other superhero thing comes before it because it's another take on mm -hmm. what it would be like if there were actual superheroes. It's a very different take. It's, you know, it, it's not as it's not as assured and sophisticated as Watchmen. But it is, it does, they slot in the same place in my mind. And obviously Watchmen was commenting on superheroes and this new Watchmen is commenting on superheroes and also commenting on Watchmen and also commenting on issues of the day. So it's doing so much more. The Boys is more straightforward, but they're both, it's, it's interesting that they're both contemporaries. Like they're both sort of products of a world in which the MCU exists. And therefore this must, therefore Watchmen must come back because it's needed again. Right. And therefore shows like The Boys come into being as a reaction to, mm -hmm. you know, the MCU and the resurgence of super, superheroes. Yeah, they've made, they've, the, the, the path has been beaten or driven over in some ways to allow for something like that to, to even exist. And, um, yeah, I, I, um, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I, it's still, I just feel like it's such a gift. I'm repeating myself at this point, but I just, I just feel like it's such a gift when I come across a show that is this, um, this challenging you know, and again, the stuff like stuff that like, would you have guessed from the beginning, the importance of eggs? And then on top of that, there is a pun inside of that, which is that there's dozens of Easter eggs in the show, which I, I think is not totally unintentional. There's, there's so many, I mean, there's just the whole YouTube genre now mm -hmm. of uh, the one guy was the guy screen screen rant. Is that the guy, the guy who acts like he's uh, got a video store? He has really good videos on this if you uh, if you're caught up. But anyways, I'm just uh, I just want to catch up with you on that. Um, I'm glad you're still watching it. Yep, I'm enjoying it. Uh, like I said, morning show, which I didn't think I would have any interest in. I it, I was surprised by how much more I liked it than I expected, and I was surprised with how much better it was than mm -hmm. all of the terrible reports I heard. Well, the expectations game ends up really helping. I feel like with something like that. 
Yeah. And, it's the way and I like feel it was, this the way I feel this week about the touch bar. I just got my first laptop <laughs> with a touch bar. And Why I love you do it. that. I love it. I yeah. love it, John. It's amazing. Mean, oh, I, did you get the new one? Yeah. Maybe it'll get oh, stupid. Maybe safe. it'll get stupid and I'll hate it. But mm-hmm. I think it's remarkable. <laughs> and it just begets probably in no small part because I mean, just you know, hearing you guys talk about you know Marco's journey with these stupid butterfly keys, and then you know just but a, like maybe second to the butterfly keys has been everybody talking about how and my shrink says the same thing. It drives him crazy. He hates it. He, he, every session we meet once a month, I hear about the touch bar and how it's making him crazy. The the ATP talk, t- take on the touch bar, and I think the general take has been most people don't hate it. Most people don't love it. And this major slam has been finding me someone who loves the touch bar. But in general, it's like, you don't hate it, but whatever. Now, the, the people who hate it, I know a couple of people who hate it, your shrink, it, include, now included, mm-hmm. people who hate it is almost entirely because of accident in the foot. Yep. When they're not trying to use it, that's exactly it what gets activated yeah. by, their, by their fat, fleshy fingers and it makes them start to hate it. But everyone else is like, you take or leave it. And that makes you think that you're not going to like it. Well, and because it, it also came alongside taking away the escape key, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you dodge that bullet, so you don't right. have to worry well, about that. That's why. I mean, I've I've, I've waited, um, but um, the expectations game. To get back to the point, uh, it ends up making quite a difference because if you're, I mean, I can't even think of how many movies I've gone into the, or I guess TV shows, but especially movies where just the consensus among everybody you trust is that this thing is really terrible and maybe worse than terrible. It's disappointing. You know what I mean? Like, I had such high expectations for this. And deedly, deedly. And you know what? Let me put one on that list. Uh, unpopular opinion. Zack Snyder's Watchmen. Far from a perfect movie. But I think it's I think it's really deeply, deeply underrated for what it is. Um, and I think part of that was going into it was that I, I was expecting it to be extremely bad. And I, I don't think it is. I think it's, for what it is, I think it's really good. And, and I wonder if that factors into your, well, you, you tell me. Does that factor into your enjoyment of uh, the morning show? Well, I just think I didn't, I, I expected it to have a different tone. Like, aside from reviews, even before I saw any reviews, I'm like, I think I know what kind of show this is going to be. And then I started watching it and it's not that kind of show. I expected it to be a lot lighter. Oh, with that, with that cast and that and the, the premise we knew about? Yeah, all I knew was Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell and they're on a morning show and look at the logo. I ex- not that I expected it to be a straight up comedy because it's too serious to be that. It's hour long. But I expected it to be way more with the jokes and mm-hmm. way less with the serious. And I expected the show itself to take itself less seriously. That is not true. The show takes itself incredibly seriously. <laughs> that's, the, that's, the, that's the current. The contemporary knock is that it's, it's Sorkin without Sorkin. Well, but yeah, like I, I was just saying earlier today, like the Sorkin comparisons I get because it's like, okay, well, Sorkin did a show about a TV show, right? Uh, and this is a show about a TV show. Uh, and Sorkin shows also tend to take themselves kind of seriously. But I feel like the morning show is not, it doesn't seem like it's even shooting for Sorkin. It's not even shooting for everyone on the show has incredibly fast rapier wit and they walk and talk a lot. That's not the morning show. Everyone on the show doesn't isn't a wit and doesn't say clever things just the right thing at just the right time. And they don't do many walking talks. It's mm-hmm. not it's not even going for that. So I feel like it's almost a you know, it's inappropriate, not insulting, but it's inappropriate to say this is like Sorkin. It's not. It's not trying to be Sorkin. The thing they have in common is that Sorkin shows tend to take themselves seriously, and so does the morning show. I think the morning show takes itself even more seriously than any Sorkin show, which is hmm. That's probably not probably not earned by mm-hmm. the morning show but i respect it i'm like look they're 
they are they're saying we're doing a serious thing here. It's it's difficult to pull off. Like I think you know maybe it's just because Reese Witherspoon is both of it. Big Little Lies also takes itself super seriously, mm-hmm. and somehow manages to pull off the magic trick of not making you think. Wait a second, this is a little silly, isn't it? Because it is like the Big Little Lies. It is, it is but it's, it's also a mood show in some ways. I I, w- I didn't see all of Big Little Lies, but I watched some of it, and I, I um I liked I liked the the mood of it. You know what I mean? It had that feeling, and you know, in a weird way, it reminds me just maybe because it's like rich ladies with beautiful interiors. It reminds me of that movie with Anne Hathaway. Uh, no, sorry, not Anne Hathaway. The one that I confused with Anne Hathaway. The one with uh, Pitch Perfect. And uh, and the lady with the house and the murder. Ah, oh, what's that movie called? Came out like last year. You know the one I mean, uh, right? A, a, not a simple yes. plan. That's a, I, that, it, yes, but it's is it a no. It's a small favor. Yeah, there you go. Something like that. <laughs> I know what the movie you're talking about. Simple plan is uh, different. <laughs> I ended up really. I mean, I saw that in the theater, and I. I uh, it's not a perfect movie, but there's a lot I liked about it. Not least that. It was sumptuous, and it really was a you know a, it had a mood. It had a mood to it. I I I. I will be pulling for any media that successfully creates a mood. And uh, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's hard to do. A simple favor was that simple movie that we're favor. thinking of, just to be clear. Yeah, <laughs> big, little, <laughs> big Little Lies, as they say, is a whole mood. But mm-hmm. really, it's very moody. The morning show, it doesn't have that kind of mood. Although I think this, the most recent episode I watched, which has, which has the aforementioned uh, unexpected strange cover of a popular song, I thought was artfully done. Uh, I'm obviously I'm a sucker for these things. I, I think that the most time I, I gagged on that is one of the sort of uh, flag bearing uh, instances of that trope in the video game world, which was a uh, trailer for a, a popular video game franchise that used a mournful, slow paced cover of Tears of Fears Mad World. That's so funny. You just said that because I was about to say the first example of this I remember is Donnie Darko. Right. Well, that's so that's the thing. Donnie Darko did have a cover of Mad World, and I think it's a good cover of Mad it's a World. Great and it was fine. cover. Yeah. And then this video game trailer came out, I think much later. Oh, God. Uh, and it does, I, I think, a different but similarly moody cover that of Mad so World. That is so lame. Over footage of like war, you know, and people uh-huh. with guns and stuff yeah. like that. I may be misremembering this one, but anyway, that's the one everyone always cites like, oh, gag me. I can't handle that. But, uh, but I think it can still be done well. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I don't know how many episodes in I am on the morning show, maybe three or whatever, but uh, A, I'm impressed by Reese Witherspoon's acting. I saw her in Big Little Lies and I saw her in this and they don't seem like the same character. So it seems like she's a pretty good actor because mm-hmm. I don't, you know, she's not, Reese Witherspoon is not shining through in these parts. Like she's not Meryl Streep, but I think she's really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jennifer Aniston, I haven't seen anything other than Friends. So I have no opinion of her other than what she's done Friends. Obviously, she's doing something very different here. Are you saying true words right now? You didn't see you haven't you haven't seen Office Space? Was she? Oh, she had the flare. I guess. Yeah. I mean, she's a bit part in that, right? Hmm. All right. How many pieces of flare is she wearing? Okay. Yes, yeah. I've seen her in that. I've probably seen her in on the back of a seat uh, while my wife watches uh, rom coms on a plane somewhere. But like, if you had asked me to name a movie that Jennifer Aniston, I would not have been able to pull out Office Space, even though yeah. now that you say it, I I remember her. But like, those are not serious dramatic lead roles. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sure she's had yeah. plenty of them, but I haven't seen them, so I had no opinion <laughs> going in. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm, you know, it's I, I, I don't know. I just I'm excited when when a TV show surprises me and surprises mm-hmm. me in a good way. And the morning show has surprised me in a good way, and I'm still watching. And I'm not quite sure they're gonna like be able to stick the landing or not break an ankle when they try to land this thing because I really don't mm-hmm. know if they can sustain this and or whatever. But I'm I'm enjoying the performances. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'm getting I'm, if I'm an easier sell now or something. 
But uh, it's kind of weird that all these Apple TV shows, like, I don't dislike any of them, and I'm watching all of them. Uh, it's weird. That's cool. It's actually, it's very good. Would you, um, done in the mini topics, um, see, I, I, this is going to be such a minefield for me to even bring up for so many reasons with you, but would you uh, allow that mini topic? Oh, sure, yeah. I'm okay. watching that one too. Okay, so, so let's get all this out of the way and let me take all of my licks. Um, I watched the first episode of The Mandalorian last night on Disney+, and I watched it wrong. I paid a lot of attention at the beginning and a lot of attention at the end, and I drifted a little bit in the middle. So let's, let's like get it all. It's 38 minutes long. Where, where's the okay. middle? All right, keep going. Let's get it all out. <laughs> it's like squeezing a zit. Just really let it all out. It's a whole, it's a whole YouTube genre of... Uh, but here's, it, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, I, well, as we were watching it, <laughs> first of all, I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, this, my daughter's so into Star Trek right now that like she's impressed by Star Trek geekery, but like she's not as impressed by Star Wars geekery. And I was like, oh my god, that's an I, that's an IG eighty eight. And I had to go look it up. I was like, oh, bad on me. It's actually an IG eleven. I didn't know that was a thing. But I remember the IG eighty eights, whatever movie they're in. Uh, I remember them being very deadly. Here's the thing. Mandalorian. This is what I like about Star Wars. Watching Mandalorian, whatever, I don't know, it's so it's so difficult for me to articulate, but um it was so delightful to me. You know, and 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 so why am I saying this? Well, I I think about what was so charming and overwhelming and life-changing about seeing Star Wars in 1977. And if I think about the stuff, I mean, on the one hand, there's all the awe-inspiring stuff, right? There's the awe, A-W-E, of the music. There's the awe of the like, wow, this is the space stuff is just really, really well done. But a lot of my favorite stuff was was like Han Solo, like how Han Solo acts. And he's kind of funny. And the way the C-3PO is. And like all the stuff about it that was like moving, um, familiar, yet fresh, different but like in small scale so much of it like very small scale you know and uh and and weirdly human and i don't know man uh watching mandalorian especially i mean just like him having his deadwood style scene with the guy i don't want to spoil it but like uh there's a boba fett kind of guy and and when they're in this when they're in you see have you seen it have you seen mandalorian Yep, I'm all I'm all caught up. Okay, so I no, I've just seen the first one, but and I want no spoilers here, except it is absolutely necessary. But uh, I just wanted to talk to you about this. About this is such old territory for you, but it really got me thinking. Um, there's obvious things like what we do and don't like about Star Wars, like just the way that the way that Han Solo in the first two movies, like the way that Han Solo and Princess Leia go back and forth. That's why I like Star Wars. Like the the way the way that C three PO. And R2-D2 are like an old gay couple. It's like, is that's, that's what I like about Star Wars. The, like, the scariness of Darth Vader, but like alongside like the scene in the trash compactor. Like those are all things that people who like Star Wars, I think, like those things. What do we not like about Star Wars? Well, meetings and trade compacts and like, you know, the, the on and on. And like, I think it's way too reductive to just say it's George Lucas versus the world. I think that's extremely reductive, but... By the time we got to the last few frames, and especially the last, the last shot of the first episode of Mandalorian, I like, I, I had goosebumps. And it wasn't goosebumps because, I mean, it was partly goosebumps because of, you know, familiar characters and stuff. But it was also goosebumps of like, this is how I felt when I watched Star Wars in some ways. I'm 50, what, 50 what? 53? Something like that? And like, I, I had some of those same feelings 
Whereas like seeing Amidala, you know, sit in a booth with Jar Jar Binks didn't make me feel that way. So I I just wanted to, I want to toss this out to you. Is there anything to what I'm talking about here? Did you get a a vibe from Mandalorian that feels like the, what we like about Star Wars of Star Wars? Did you get that feeling at all? Yeah. And I have my, my explanation for it. I think at this point, and this may be influenced by having seen the, the, person behind the show speak he, uh dave filoni spoke at wwdc dave, is that his name god am i getting his name the right? director yes yeah yeah i i john favreau it's like i guess like the showrunner but that guy was the directed this episode i think he's behind oh, i gotta look him up now he's a uh, favreau was for the episode i watched he was i believe the writer and the executive producer he's he's, he's the producer he, uh, saw him at uh, dob dob Yes, and he he did some uh, the Star Wars. He did I think he did Clone Wars and Rebels. Oh wow, I love Clone Wars. Yeah. So and, <laughs> and this is taking and, too long. <laughs> having seen him speak, um, and and in general, just generation, generation, yeah, generationally, mm-hmm. um, the people who are making Star Wars stuff now are people who were fans of the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of what the people who made the original trilogy were trying to do or liked about it or what their goals were or what they did later in life, like the prequels, and that's not just Lucas, but everyone who did mm-hmm. it. What's the guy's new name? Media, not, Gary, not Gary Katz. That's the guy who produced Steely Dan. Who's the Gary Kurtz? Is that what I'm thinking of? That, that's a guy. Wasn't that like a producer guy? You got Lawrence uh, Kasdan wrote the second one, but you've got this like this rat king of super talented genre filmmakers. Right. And they all they all brought their own things to it. But now the people making Star Wars media are not those mm-hmm. people. So what those people did or thought is mostly irrelevant. All the people making it now are fans of Star Wars. And like you were saying, there is a there is a common thread for Star Wars fandom. What did people who saw the original trilogy get out of it? What did they love about it? What did they cherish about Star Wars? Why is Star Wars Star Wars? Mm-hmm. That, I think, is fairly consistent and solid, despite the very widely varied intentions for making them satisfaction with the various movies. Famously, George Lucas uh, accounts Empire as his least favorite, even though it is clearly the best of the movies. Um, and the various directors who, you know, directed the original trilogy, it's three different directors, three movies. Uh, we fans have some common thread. And now that fans are making the media, it's no surprise that what is in this media, when done well, when these fans are good at what they do, reflects what we loved about the original trilogy. And it has nothing to do with them, like, somehow divining something from the originals based on you know what lucas wanted or what was good about it like it just it's natural they're star wars fans because they love these things and therefore they want to make things that are like the thing that they loved in the way that they loved it mm-hmm. and i i think that's great like that was the big thing i took away from feloni's talk it was like he he basically said everything that i said it's like look i'm a fan of star wars so when i got a chance to make anything having to do with star wars i was making it filled with the things that I loved about Star Wars. And he didn't say this, but I think the audience would recognize, and by the way, the things I love about Star Wars are the things you love about Star Wars too. And he spent zero amount of time doing like, you know, uh, like founding father's originalism of like, but what did George Lucas intend? And what was he aiming for? And what does the universe really mean? It's like, I don't care about any of that. Right, I, right, right. I have, I have a love and I'm going to project that out through what I make. And I, I see that in, in Clone Wars and in Rebels, and I see it in The Mandalorian, even though the shows are very different. Like, mm-hmm. we've said this before in The Incomparable, that the Star Wars universe can absolutely support many different kinds of shows and many different kinds of media and different genres. This Mandalorian is not a stretch because Space Western is a reasonable description of 
the original Star Wars to yeah. many degrees. I mean, one of the many obvious influences that blend together to to make the original Star Wars. Uh, and, you know, this is a good incarnation of that. And it has the it has the guts to do like if this was on network television, there's no way the Mandalorian would be like it is. Like the episodes are weird, have a weird length. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of dialogue. The main character is a cipher for reasons that I don't want to spoil. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, that wouldn't fly. There, this is not, you watch a show and you're like, this is not a network TV show, but it feels Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. It feels, it feels yeah. like a, a space Western with a yeah. cool character. It's, it's, it, it's, ine- it's ineffable. And I can feel like I can sort of ar- only argue it by analogy and example. Though I could not, I could not give you a worksheet with three to five bullets on it that are like, okay, go make this. I, I, I couldn't do that. But I, I, I do know what. I mean, in some ways, I do feel like this is somewhat similar to Watchmen in, in this one sense, like we talked about. Like you could to give somebody this list and say, okay, here's all these things I want you to hit. Like these are the kinds of things I want you to hit to make this the Watchmen. What, what do you call it? A reboot, a extension of that universe, whatever that is. That that list would be farcical, and just because it had squid on it does not mean that it would make it good or bad or anything. And the same thing happens with Star Wars, where it's like, you know, I mean, here's one thing we know: we know that, like, oh my God, who would have ever thought you could have too much lightsaber? Like, because when 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 those movies came out, the lightsaber thing was so special and so cool. And like now, I don't care about kyber crystals or whatever. And like, you know, I don't care about the the midichlorians and all that kind of stuff. I think what we learned though is like when that stuff is deployed in a story and with a tone that has that same feeling, it can be really special. Like the opening, I I'm a weirdo. I think. Episode three is better than people give it credit for. I know it's why among nerds, it's why like, you know, everybody hates that one. But I think the opening space battle was really fun. I think that is for better or for worse, what George Lucas wishes everything looked like. I think he wants it to look like, I think he wants, you know, Star Wars through, through Jedi. He wants them all to look like the opening of uh what is it? Return of the Sith. Is that what it's called? Whatever episode three is. Um, Revenge of the Sith. Oh uh, yeah, sorry, Return Revenge of the Jedi. But okay, so so what I'm trying to say is that um so it's easy enough to say like here's what we don't like. But now go look at that that poster that just came out for the next movie. Now on the one hand, like and so, you know, the poster I'm sorry, have you avoided the poster, John? I have. It would be nice if you didn't describe it, but I'm sure it has lightsabers on. Okay. <laughs> All right. But so for the folks, everybody else who has seen the poster, you know, if you describe that, uh a description of that poster could sound a lot like the opening of the third, you know, uh, episode three. It's just that it's, it captures something that's got the, the specialness to it, whether that's Hildebrandt or McQuarrie, McQuarrie is that the guy's name? But like, you know that when you see it, you know that look. And, but there's something special about like what's represented on that poster where you go, oh my God, that, 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 that's the Star Wars. So like the Boba Fett guy, like talking to the fish man, in his ship, and I say it reminds me of the beginning of Deadwood. <laughs> you know, don't look like it wants to infect. Um, I, there's something about that, the, the the tone of that, and you know him going downstairs because he has to use the tube <laughs> to evacuate, and he's molting. I don't know, and the fact that he doesn't have a funny voice, like the guys, the, the people back in the uh, bar speaking Hatties, but he he just sounds like a guy from uh, like any Hollywood movie. And I don't do know. You know. Do you know who that guy was? I found this out on another podcast I was doing. Another character. Did he play? The fish guy. Fish guy is evacuating his bowels. You know yeah. who plays the fish guy. I don't. You know the actor, and okay. you're, Give me a hint. you're going to be surprised by. All right. So, uh, first hint is it's comedic actor. That makes sense. 
Unless I'm misremembering this. Movies or movies or TV? Mainly. TV. Really? I have absolutely no idea. He looks like he might be a middle-aged balding man. Okay, I'm going to go look it up now. Do you, want me, you don't want me to tell you? Tell me. Go ahead. Horatio Sands. Shut your dirty mouth. <laughs> Susan the fish makeup. Horatio Sands is the fish man? Yeah. I had I had absolutely no idea. I mean, he is dressed as a fish. I watched, like, this, I watched a sketch with him in it three times and i watched the, the gus chiggins sketch three times in the last week he's he's been on my mind and i did not get that at all no because he he's in fish makeup okay that's true uh no, i think another comedian was the uh the taxi driver who was that uh i don't know the, the name but i recognize the face brian posen oh yeah you know of course of course yeah brian posen he's from uh, comedians of comedy and uh, mr show yeah yeah absolutely and he was so thrilled to be in it he is a did you ever see comedians of comedy in the movie no it's pretty funny. It's Pat Oswalt. This is a long time before these people were famous. Pat Oswalt, Zach Galifianakis, Maria Bamford, Brian Posehn doing this tour together. Um, and when they go to pick up Brian Posehn at his house, he and his wife live in this, you know, typical like California house. But he has an entire room just for his action figures. It's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, of course, Brian Posehn. Um, anyway, I don't want to belabor this because I don't have anything useful or like there's no functional component to this. It's just that I, uh, I want to celebrate that this made me happy. And, you know, okay, speaking of, but, but, okay, here's another thing. Um, they came out with however many years ago, my kid was so little when the show started, uh, Clone Wars. And it's so wild to me that they take, when I say they take Anakin and Obi-Wan, it's not Anakin and Obi-Wan from the trilogy. It's Anakin and Obi-Wan from the prequels, right? It's just that this happens to be, this takes place right before uh, I think it takes place between two and three. Is that right? Or when is uh, it? Yeah, I think you're right. Something like that. But any, the point is that I don't think this is a particularly controversial thing to say. The animated Anakin of Clone Wars is the best Anakin. He's great. He's, he's such a believable character and he's so fun. And the way that they, the, uh, the Obi-Wan of uh, the Ben Kenobi in Clone Wars is played is it's obviously based on uh, the Train Spotting Guy's performance more so than well, it's ironic because Train Spotting Guy, whose name is Ewan McGregor, yes, Ewan McGregor's performance, he pegged, he wanted it to be very reminiscent of um, Sir Alec Guinness, and then the way he's played in the in the animated version in Clone Wars is very similar to the obviously the Ewan McGregor version, and it, it totally works for me. I mean, all of this stuff that's so silly, all the stuff with Grievous, all the stuff with, um, oh my God, Doku, the way Count Doku is done in, in the animation. It's, it's, all, it's all so good, and it's exactly what you're talking about. It makes total sense to me that that guy worked on Clone Wars because it captures the, the joyful, adventurous spirit of the first two movies in particular um, in, this, in this different medium. I think it's just wildly successful. Anyway, you know, I, I, I bitch about stuff a lot. I just wanted to say I went into The Mandalorian knowing nothing about it. I thought it was the titular Boba Fett. Um, I guess it's not. I was confused about timelines and why his armor's not all beat up and half a cape and stuff. But uh, I don't know. It, was, it made me happy because it, it, was, and it, and it wasn't purely for nostalgia reasons, okay? What happens in the last minute or two of that first episode really hit me in the feels, as they say. My my daughter is still making fun of me about this, um, but it's not purely nostalgic. It's it's only nostalgic in as much as it successfully creates 
a mood again, a feel like a, there's a tone to it, you know, and it, it has that space Western feeling and the way, just the way that town looks and everything. I don't know. I just, uh, I thought it was, I thought it was really well done and it made me happy. Just keep watching. There's, there's two out now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably watch, I might watch the second one tonight. I didn't know we were going to get that reveal in the first one. I thought the reveal was in the second one, but it all made me so happy. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know anything about that, which was nice, but, uh, yeah, this, the, the second episode, at least, is uh, of a piece with the first. The okay. tone continues. Well, I was going to retweet an image of the thing from the reveal that John Favreau tweeted today. But I figured that, since I don't like Star Wars, you know, I might be spoiling something for you if I shared that this thing that I don't like. That's very considerate of you to Thank think you. about. Well, Although, I'm a considerate there, guy. Uh, StarWars.com apparently says it's okay to spoil the first episode now, but they would say that. Did you see? Did you see the thing John Favreau tweeted? Maybe send it to me. Yes, yeah, I'm all caught up, so you can't spoil me. Um, <laughs> I saw some. I saw some good joke memes for that. But yes, I didn't, yeah, Dave I didn't Weigel. Post Dave Weigel's such a good follow. Oh my god! Look at this. Oh, okay. So I'm clicking. I wonder if this will send. Let's see. Anyway, you know, Star Wars is good. Is what I'm saying. You can make me launch the Messages app. That's what you're going to do. Oh, no, sorry. I'll try and Skype. I never I know what to it. expect. I got it. I launched Messages. The Magic of SSDs. It's already launched. Oh, oh yeah. Nice. No, one bounce? Just one bounce? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look. oh, that's not a joke thing. That's the real thing, yeah. 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 That's the concept art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. They, the, in the credits, did you see they do? They show, like, the yeah. concept art for the episode. I love that. It was the perfect way to end it. Yeah, I might watch that tonight. Or I might watch uh, the latest Watchmen again. Oh, there's so much good TV. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Dollar Shave Club. You can learn more about Dollar Shave Club right now by visiting dollarshaveclub.com slash diffs. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need in the bathroom, from razor blades to grooming products, all automatically delivered to your door. Everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. They spent years developing, crafting, and refining their products, which really shows in the quality. Uh, their stuff is great. I have used it, uh, and uh, it is it is so great to know you've got a fresh blade just waiting for you right there. Mm-hmm. Magnifique. As amazing as their shave stuff is, Dollar Shave Club is way more than just razors. They have you covered head to toe with everything you need to shower, shave, style your hair, brush your teeth, and more. You can stay automatically stocked up on the products that you use so you get what you want when you need it, whether that's once a month or a few times a year. And right now, you can put the quality of Dollar Shave Club's products to the test. The Ultimate Shave Starter Set has basically everything you need for an amazing shave. Their Executive Razor, Shave Butter, Prep Scrub, and Post Shave Dew. The best part is you can try it for just $5. That's so cheap. After that, the restock box ships regular size products at regular prices. You can go right now and get your ultimate starter set for just $5. Go to dollarshaveclub.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Dollarshaveclub.com slash diffs. Our thanks to Dollar Shave Club for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. So uh, you've probably already covered this in Hypercritical, this last bullet here. I mean, I was trying to articulate this to my wife, who is so excited to hear my theories about Star Wars and what makes it good. But I was trying to uh, to just say, like, it's almost like the, you know, whatever, the unsighted men in the gamble or the elephant or however you tell the analogy. We're like, you know, we're all touching the same thing, but we're all feeling something different. And like, it's like, 
did we just get lucky for two movies? Is that what happened? Is it, is it that, I mean, I know this is well-trodden ground, I'm guessing, but give me your definitive take. Did we just get lucky in 1977 and 1980, and it just happened that that team, led by that guy, came up with those two freaking amazing movies, even though it seems at cross-purposes with his own tastes? So first of all, this is the second time you've done this in this episode, and I will not let it stand. You said you loved Han Solo in the first two movies. Did we get lucky for two movies? Return of the Jedi is a good movie. It's an extremely okay? good, no, it's an extremely good movie, but and, it's also the beginning of the end, John. But it's not though. That's, <sighs> I'm, uh, you, you, I did a big comparable with the Return of the Jedi. I know I've listened to all my, of them. Here, my argument, but you don't remember. You haven't internalized this this <laughs> argument. Uh, it's not the beginning of the end because. Ewoks uh, do not step in poop and say poodoo or whatever. Like there, it's, it's, <laughs> yes, there's comic relief. There's always yum, been yum. comic relief, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. not, I'm not going to say Jedi is as good as Empire, but Jedi has the important property, as I've argued at length, of completing the story in a way that is significant. Like it's not just like, and this is the last movie with those people and we'll come to some resolution. There is an internal story return of the Jedi that goes through a plot, Uh but it also completes an arc of the movies and the trilogy as a whole stands up because of that arc, because it has a resolution, a particular kind of resolution, which is very rare and very well done. Well, and for the, for the Anakin story, it's especially, which is what we were told it was going to be for the Luke story, because Anakin is Hmm. not really a character in the original trilogy yes we see him when the helmet is off at the end mm-hmm. but in general like, it is the luke harmonica. story yeah the, yeah the whole thing is how is luke going to resolve you know his his, his how does his arc resolve because mm-hmm. he there is tension and conflict about what the right thing to do is and it's not actually clear he's got lots of people giving him lots of advice he's got uh, him wanting to do his things and he's got this powerful force that he's become uh, accustomed with and mm-hmm. he really gets his butt kicked in empire and it can resolve itself in all sorts of ways. And it, the way it resolves itself is a way that no heroic trilogy movie has ever resolved itself and continues to this day. That there not, not to be any kind of movie that resolves itself in this way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't want to rehash all of my uh, incompetent arguments. But well, I, and then just to be clear, I'm not, no, I, I, I like that movie. Well, I mean, we can agree to disagree. I, I, I like it a lot. <laughs> I think it's merely extremely good. Whereas the first two movies, the first two movies are legitimately special, topest top tier, in my opinion. I think Return of the Jedi is good. I think it's very good. But I think it also starts showing some of the impulses that were about to spin way out of control with the man. That's, yeah, I've heard that argument before. And I think I maybe even have made that argument before. But the more I, the, the more I consider it, the more I think that that's not, like, it, it, there's one way in which that's true in that, uh, the tendencies that George Lucas has that are evidenced in the prequels were not, they didn't just spring into existence when he started making the prequels. They were always sort of in him. Mm-hmm. But, and you see them in Jedi, but you also see them in A New Hope. That's the thing. You also see his worst instincts and his bad dialogue tendencies in A New Hope. Empire, they are the most moderated by other people. But it's also the mon- it's the monster, it's the monster and creature centrism, like for its own sake, is one. And like it's not just it's not just the Ewoks. Isn't it's not also the one where he has to fight the thing in the pit and all that? Yeah, but it's also the tin ear for dialogue mm-hmm. and uh, in some respects the uh, the not fully understanding the Han character, because Han doesn't Han gets to be an echo of Han from the first two movies. In the third movie, he's mm-hmm. not really given enough to do. It's assumed that we are already comfortable with him. Mm-hmm. And his his arc 
is basically concluded at the end of Empire, so they have to manufacture some conflict, romantic comedy style, to give him something to do. Um, but the, the other thing Jedi has going for it is, it is up until you know the the modern movies the most assured uh, best space battle in any movie ever up to that point. Like the final space battle in Jedi is amazing. Mm-hmm. I still think it holds up pretty well just because of the drama and everything involved. Obviously, it doesn't have the technical wizardry of like yeah. the uh, the space battle in uh, you know Episode Three, which is an execrable movie, but has good effects for spaceships flying around and doesn't you know doesn't hold to any of the modern things but it's amazing um and it's not amazing because like oh look at all these ships it's amazing because uh, i was going to mention this before when you talked about like i don't care about kyber crystals when it's not the elements that are bad it's not the midi chlorines or the kyber crystals or anything like that that's bad it's this the surrounding so the clone wars cartoon did a whole bunch of stuff with kyber crystals and we cared about it because we cared about the characters who were involved if you don't right. care about the characters nothing works if you do care about the characters anything works you know a little bit of cilantro can be good a lot of people hate cilantro but like getting a case of cilantro and dumping it does not make the dish good and i think sometimes it's not he's not really tasting the dish that he's trying to make and doesn't understand like what what the deployment like the part of what made like whether this is jaws famous stories right jaws lightsabers you name it a little went a long way in that like you you never could could you imagine a world where you would think like oh my god you know lightsabers are special and cool and they're having a sword fight and then you get general grievous who's fighting with like four at a time and you're like oh god enough like again, again, I feel like that 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 explanation works at one level, but at another level, if General Grievous was a truly compelling character uh, in, in a story where we cared about what happened, mm-hmm. that would all be fine. Like that, the the problem is the lack of that, and once the lack of that is there, then you see. Yeah. And also, by the way, I'm bored with these lightsabers because there's too many of them and everything. Like, and the example is the Return of the Jedi belt. So many more ships, so much more going on, and yet I feel like it is entirely gripping and dramatic. And they and this is a, a George Lucas trademark whether it's him or not he does it in a lot of his movies the multiple uh the climactic battle where things are happening in multiple locations and they're intercut with each other i love and that in, i love that i, in the I first one. love that a very a very skillful way jedi does it amazingly the people on the planet yeah, Luke and the Death Star and the space bottle again. outside and how they intersect with each other and how you care about what's happening in all of them and how it definitely cuts between them yeah that's good movie making and, and mm, he walks yeah. on the planet mm. maybe it bothers people and it's a little bit too uh, comedic okay and, okay, you know, okay let me anyway. ask you this Set pieces. How do you feel? And it's been a while since I watched Jedi. Um, how do you feel about the whole sequence with the Jabba's land yacht and the, the the going off the diving board and Boba Fett and all the? How do you feel about that as a set piece? I, I like it because uh, because of Luke and his arc. So his mm-hmm. it, it, when we leave him in Empire, he's lost the limb and he is like practically bawling and huddled up and shaking and sweaty and has learned this revelation about his father and is fleeing mm-hmm. is like his lowest point right and then <clears throat> indeterminate amount of time passes and jedi begins and he shows the question, up at the palace and he's a very different person yeah well we don't see we don't know we see the palace and we're like where's luke where's luke because we're waiting for him to show up and eventually mm-hmm. he does show up and he's acting very differently yes and we know that all things are not as they seem because we know people are like undercover and they're trying to do this rescue and the droids are there and Luke comes in and he's acting super weird and he's dressed weird and we, it's like, is this, like, what's the deal here? Yeah. Is, does, is Luke, is this a put on? Um, well, I think, I think or, it, you, you could be forgiven for thinking, well, obviously he's become a bad guy. 
Yeah, so or, the first or, time you see him with the hood and everything, like, or is he is he a super duper Jedi? And now, like, we skip the part where he becomes a Jedi in the old movie, in the previous movie, he wasn't, but now he is, and it's mm-hmm. like you're skipping to the end. Uh, what is the actual plan? Uh, and then we see things start to fall apart, and it's like, oh, I guess he was bluffing because he's captured, and he's, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. everything's a mess or whatever. And then the sort of dramatic thing with R two on the barge and all that other stuff. And so it's it's a nice mixed reveal to say th- time has passed and Luke has got his feet under him again. But uh, yeah, as you know, as Vader said in the previous movie, you're not a Jedi yet, and she's not, and he's got to return to Yoda, and they have a discussion and blah blah. blah. I, I you know. I def- I'm a big Jedi defender, so uh, obviously. Well, I'll, uh, I'll I'll watch it again. Do you, do you have a strong feeling about the? Um, why don't I asking you this? Never mind. I, re- I I withdraw the question. Actually, the other question. Uh, so I'll just expand it to say, did we get lucky with three films? <laughs> that's what that's what I'll expand it to. Okay. Because in general, like the original trilogy, you know, is beloved, right? As a unit, <laughs> beloved character, and, and and the prequels less so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so did we get lucky? And I think the answer to that is. All movies are, are a collaborative endeavor, and the way we got lucky is that the collaborators George Lucas chose and happened to work with, what they brought to each one of those movies, in particular the first movie yes. where so much was established, mm-hmm. you know, we all lucked out that he, mm-hmm. his collaborators happened totally. to to bring totally. like because here's the thing if you were if you read any of the things like those making of books or whatever like that's when exactly they were what i'm thinking of that 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 thick picture book i've got the one for the first movie and the the, re- the constraints that they had on time and budget as in like as in like we have this long in tunisia and that means this many hours of sunlight and we still need to lay down the tracks and all the decisions that had to be made and they still came out with something that's the taste level that that movie is at is remarkable or things like uh, I was watching something on YouTube or whatever about uh, I don't know it's probably from Viziri uh, about like the designing the ships. There was this whole thing on like the designs of the various ships and the models and everything like that. And that process, like the people who were doing that, had extremely wide latitude. Like Macquarie was like, I'm just going to paint some stuff, and mm-hmm. George may have some vague notion of something, or may draw like a scribble on a piece of paper that's like a ball or a stick or something. But in general, when they were making those ships, uh, they made something and they'd show it to George and be like, Yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like. He hmm. was not micromanaging this. Why do we have hmm. X-Wings and the Millennium Falcon and TIE Fighters, a vague notion chucked over a wall by George Lucas, and then it's like, okay, you know, go with it. And then they come back to George and say, here, what do you think? And he'd be like, sure. Hmm. Like, like, like wow. what, what should everything in the universe look like? What should the costumes look like? Like, George Lucas of, of A New Hope oh was gosh. not and probably could not be having like a like he wasn't alfred hitchcock where he's got every shot in his mind mapped out exactly not then not then but i mean is it fair to say that that changed because like uh, the running joke in the 90s was how it seemed like george lucas had a wackadoo name for every single thing and and every single race and like he seemed like he was really micromanaging the entire universe right so so like i i think the 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 luck part of it is his collaborators on the original star wars had you know each brought something special to the table, whether it's Ben Burt with the sound mm-hmm. or the model makers or ILM or the people who are filming it, or the editors and obviously John Williams. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't be, he didn't have some vision of every one of these details and he couldn't be micromanaging all of those people. So they all brought what they brought. And so many things that we'd think of as iconic Star Wars are because his collaborators did that. Right. So he basically had the framework and the scaffolding and managed to hold it all together and get it out the door. But if those collaborators were worse at what they do, 
you know, there would be no screeching TIE fighter. Like there would be right. no X-Wings. There right, would right, be right. no lightsabers that look like lightsabers. Like it would, it would be so different, so incredibly different. And once that framework is laid down in the second movie, like, you know, it's not like you're, you know, the, the, you're not going to say, okay, well, we've got all new ships and there's no more X-Wings and TIE fighters. It's not going to happen, right? So like the mold has been cast there by the first movie. We know who Luke is. We know what he looks like. We know what the universe looks like. We know what the soundscape is. We know what the John Williams music looks like. And they just amped it up for the second one. We're going to get the same, get the same band back together and make, you know, this, this great second movie and third movie, you know, follows on from that. I think by the time the prequels came, it's not like the collaborators were worse, but, but there is more, whether he had more time to think about it or whatever, he seemed more in a Hitchcock mode where he doesn't say, oh, there's going to be a ship. Mm-hmm. He would say, give me 10 designs for ships. And then he would nitpick them. And then you go back and do another, there's a whole bunch of making of things where he is so much more involved in the process of selecting and you know influencing the design of every little thing in the entire universe don't you think part of that might have been the divorce i mean maybe uh part of it is just like you know the original george lucas the 70s george lucas didn't have the capacity because he's was young and Mm -hmm. was in over his head and was you know uh, constantly on the on the verge of ruin and he probably knew better than to ask a lot because didn't he famously get to make star wars because it was part of like a two-picture deal where he had to I'm, I'm talking over my over my. Uh, yeah, well, he, he wasn't he wasn't as big, so you can't no. you can't you got you just kind of got it. You got to be scrappy and you got to do what you can do. By the time he's making the prequels, he can do and say whatever Absolutely. he wants, and he wants to exert so yeah. much more control. Um, and in particular, like the part that it hurt him the worst is is the writing and the you know the structure of the story and the whole thing like that. Mm-hmm. That's where he got the most help because if you look at his outlines it's vaguely related to what happened in the trilogy but essentially the reason empire is great is because you know kasdan and and lee brackett and oh god go go read go read the draft of like the luke sky star killer stuff like it's not it definitely evolved it's like a rough outline that gets chucked to this group of hungry people who are going to (laughs) be the best at what they do and they just don't know it yet right (laughs) yeah um, yeah. So if you're well, going to call the, that well, luck, Harrison, fine, but, doesn't Harrison Ford have a famous line about trying to do George Lucas's dialogue? Is there a famous yeah, line you, about you that? You can write this, shit, George, but you can't say it. <laughs> it's not, yeah, and so like, and uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, yeah, okay, I've got Kurtz in the brain. Uh, who the Kirshner, um, the director of the second movie, who read yeah. the Empire Making of book and see how intimately Kirshner was involved in. And how collaborative he was with the actors and how they were all like thinking through all this stuff and just working on the script and how it's going to play out. Like you can see, like, why is Empire so good? It's explained by the people retelling how that movie was made. Mm-hmm. It's so unlike even even unlike today's like, you know, typical Marvel movie or whatever, where you feel like there is no deep director actor collaboration deciding the direction of the characters. Like the direction of the characters is set by like the, those group of people on the big screens that uh, Nick Fury talks to the the real world equivalent (laughs) of those in Marvel. That's, you know, not not to say that, you know, it's bad or anything, but it's just a different way of making things like, you know, Empire in many ways was like a 70s movie. If you read the making of it's like, what am I reading here? Is this mm-hmm. am I reading the making of like the big chill? No, it's a science fiction movie in, in the Star Wars franchise. But uh, anyway, I, I wouldn't call it luck. I would say it is a product of its time and it is a product of the people that made it. I guess we were all collectively lucky that that group of people came together to make that thing in that particular way. And that sort of set the path for the original trilogy. Then there's big time gap. And it might as well be just a full reset. And then it's just like new George Lucas, which 
is in such a different position from old George Lucas uh-huh. trying to make these new movies and everything about the situation is different. And, and if anything, I would say we got unlucky with the prequels <laughs> because the prequels could have gone better. They just didn't. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. You can learn more about ExpressVPN right now by going to expressvpn.com slash diffs. We all know how a VPN protects your privacy and security online, but did you know it can take your TV watching to the next level by unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? It's true. That means that you can use ExpressVPN to binge on Doctor Who or Star Trek on the UK Netflix. You just fire up the ExpressVPN app and change your location to the UK. Lots well, magic. Refresh Netflix and that is it. ExpressVPN hides your IP address so you you can control where you want sites to think you're located and you can choose from almost 100 different countries. Just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. So if you love anime, you can use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix. It's not just Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service, Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, whatever you want. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but ExpressVPN is ridiculously fast. What you want when you're watching shows, obviously. No buffering, no lag. You can stream in HD. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want, wherever you want. Folks, it is so important to get a VPN. It will really save your bacon. If you're going to be out there using public Wi-Fi, boy, you do not want to be going commando. You need ExpressVPN on your side. And if you visit this special link right now, you go to expressvpn.com slash diffs. You're going to get three extra months free with a one-year package. So go support this show. Watch what you want. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Chrononology. Um, so my daughter is crazy into Star Trek right now. Like, it's her main you know, way she sort of identifies at this point is how much she loves Star Trek. Like, so first Star Trek episode to Star Wars is the same amount of time as 2008 till now. I don't like those comparisons. I don't like when people do those. What do you have a name for those? Chrononalogies, I call them. But is there like an actual like I call them chrononalogies. I invented these. Sure, that's your name, but I'm saying is there already a meme name for them? No, I had to come up with it. I invented this idea. (laughs) <laughs> work, why do you, you not like workshop. it why would you not like that when someone does you can that workshop how it rolls off the tongue you do better you know you're very you're very good at criticizing i know I, i'm i'm so i'm i'm with you with the cron analogy i'm just wondering what should be like chronologies fine why do you <laughs> no, not I mean, how can you not like shopping well, there's no bad ideas here don't, you know, there's plenty of bad ideas don't worry about that because <laughs> i feel like cron analogy my point being is to, to to go from like season season one lizard men <laughs> You know, and stuff uh, to to uh, I'm not going to call it a new hope. I'm not going to call it episode four from the beginning of Star Trek to Star Wars is 11 years. And that's wild to me. Yep. I mean, and, and the, the, the other amazing thing, kind of like Blade Runner, is how quickly the entire rest of the world <sighs> oh got God. on the page with Star Wars. Like I, Battlestar yes. Galactica is yes. not that long after Star Wars. And it's like we have learned everything that you have taught us. Battlestar like Battlestar Galactica, Galactica uh, Lauren Green. You, yeah, just everything about like how, well, no, how no, you Lord, do motion Lord control. Green or, uh, yes, Lauren Green. Okay. The original. Yeah, 79. Yeah. 
Starbucks, like, yeah, that's two years, two years after Star Wars, yeah. like, we have absorbed what you have put out, and now we can make derivative television shows in a convincing fashion. Uh, and again, compare Battlestar Galactica to Star Trek. It's so clear that there is mm-hmm. something happened between there. What happened? Star Wars happened. Same thing with Blade Runner. After Blade Runner, every freaking movie looks like Blade Runner. Blade, Blade Runner, I just got, um, so that's one of my favorite movies, and I just got last week um, a 4K Blu-ray Ultra of that, and um, it's it's shocking. Of, of, of what? A I'm sorry, uh, Final Cut of Blade Runner. Ah, yes. But like it's it really is so shocking. So let's do another chronology. So you got Star Trek to Star Wars 11 years. So 81 is um Blade Runner, is that right? Yeah, yeah I think so. They did oh. that in four that they made that Los Angeles 4 years after Star Wars, 1 year after Empire. Let me see if It's 81 uh, or 82 because I remember you'll remember my 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 uh, my famous uh, anecdote walking up with my friends who were old enough to see the movie and me saying one adult for Blade Runner. And they said, please leave. Go see uh, Super- it was 82. So the 82. Blade Runner is 82. All right, so still, still five years? Yeah. Um, and when an alien was, I mean, obviously Blade Runner it was something to Alien 79. Yep. Alien? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's there remarkable. Lot, there was a lot happening in there. That is remarkable. Well, you think about like the leap with, I mean, obviously 2001. That's 69. And I, I imagine it took a pretty long time to make. But that is... 2001 came out, I believe, at least in the same calendar year, that Star Trek was still in the air. TOS was still in the air. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, that's that, speaking of 82, that's that uh, blog post I had back, back when I didn't know this was a meme, although it already was by this point. Um, summer of 82. Uh, just the summer, not the whole year of 82. Just the summer of 82. An officer and a gentleman, Annie, Blade Runner, Coman and the Barbarian, E.T., Fast Times at Richmond High, Firefox, Poltergeist, Rocky Three, Wrath of Khan, Road Warrior, Secret of Nim, The Thing, and Tron. Can you believe that's a summer? That's one summer. That's, it was also great for music. That was my, that was the first big American summer of New Wave. That was like, there was the, it was like Men at Work, The Fix, um, there were so many, that's what, boy, isn't that crazy? Or like, you know, people talk about like 1999, you know, in movies, like what came mm-hmm. out in 1999. There's just these certain yep. years where you're like, there's no way those all came out. And you're saying that all came out roughly in the same that, summer. That's the summer. That's just <sighs> the summer. Like, like I said in my blog post, like it has something for everybody. It has action movies, horror movies, sports <laughs> no, movies, fantasy movies, science belong. fiction movies, yeah. animated movies, horror movies, like it just, and every, like every one of these movies you could say, was you know a an important moment in the genre except mm-hmm. for maybe Annie but maybe that's that's an important moment in the genre of taking stage things and putting them on in the big screen which is now uh, a popular thing to do something something that i watch sometimes at night let's be honest i watch almost every night people have put together these compilation videos especially this one dude do these compilation videos um that have some kind of a theme like let me go look at my history Wow, I've watched a lot of sticks lately. Jeez. Yeah, don't watch don't look at your history. It's too it's too revealing. Well, okay, so here, okay, 13 cop and private eye junk TV shows of the 80s. 11 youth target. Oh, this one's amazing. 11 youth targeted TV sitcom failures, 77 to 79. And basically he's just cut together the credit sequences from a bunch of TV shows. Oh, I, I think I, I think I saw that video. It was like obscure, like un, th- shows you didn't remember existed or knew existed. Well, that's this whole, this guy, RWDT09. Like he, this is like his whole thing. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty wild. They get, like I said, they have different themes around them. I'm trying to find some other ones here, but they are pretty wild to watch. And I mean, there's a crack about this I made on Twitter, you know, um, 
a week or so ago about because I was I happened to be watching one of these, and as usual, my kid came back from the shower, and she's like, "Wait a minute, what is this?" I'm like, "This is this is what was on TV. This is what the networks were excited about in whatever 1981." She's like, "You would just watch this." And yeah, I like, that's weird. yeah, yeah, no, but like this is this was a, this was a true conversation. Like, wait a minute, so you, this you would just watch this? So, so yeah, this is what was on. You would just watch whatever was on. Like, yes, that's literally what was on was what we could watch. And she's like, and you would on purpose watch this. And I was like, not really. It's just that this is literally what was on. And this is what we could watch. And she's like, there was nothing else you can. I was like, there's three stations and they were all showing stuff like this. And she's like, and you would just watch that. I was like, yes, that we watched what was on because what was on was what we could watch. Which is like, you know, to a kid, this is like, uh, you know, Kurt Vonnegut and the Trial Famidorians. It's like trying to explain how, how humans look at time. And, you know, he describes it as, the uh, Trial Famidorians see it as like us being tied to a, 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 like a, a train car, like looking through a tube at the sky. <laughs> like, <laughs> and for a little kid, and, you know, she only ever has to face that when we go to like a hotel room. And she's like, how much Guy Fieri can we watch? And I'm like, none. Like, this is what is on. <laughs> <laughs> today i'm back to work i was telling dan i feel like we need a chernobyl style like badge that we can all each wear that will gauge our lifetime exposure to guy fieri and let us know <laughs> 90 90 seconds is a lifetime dose <laughs> yeah i still remember trying to explain live tv to my kids i tried so many times when they were young um and to this day like you I, got a flat tire you weren't gonna watch happy days till summertime end of story <laughs> yeah i stopped I stopped trying to explain to them when they were very young, but now sometimes I wonder, yeah. do my kids know what live TV is? Because I'm pretty sure they still don't. Like, m- maybe intellectually, viscerally, they certainly don't. I'm wondering if intellectually, if you ask my kids, do you know what live TV is, could they actually explain it? Because I, I don't think they, they don't watch live TV still to this day, and i do not not sure they understand what it was when it was a thing or what it is. But I mean, we have examples of that that we can, I can touch with my hands. And now that I'm older, I see these things differently. But think about, I don't know how old your your family, your family's probably a little younger than my family. Um, but, you know, they would talk about listening to the radio. And I'm like, well, yeah, I listen to the radio. And I'm like, no, no. Like, the way you watch TV, we would listen to the radio. And I would go, you're insane. What are you talking about? Like, you know the way that you watch a TV show? Like, that would be us and Jack Benny. Oh, we love Jack Benny. I was like, Jack Benny? He's so old. And you would go and like, <laughs> so wait, let me understand this. Like, you gather around and what? You like stare at the dial? Like, what do you watch? And I'm like, well, no, you listen. Oh, mm-hmm. Fibber McGee and Molly, and he really needs to clean out that closet. It was just, you know, I think that is somewhat similar. I think that, I mean, our children are not st- And now here we are listening to podcasts. Or like, exactly, oh, no, exactly right. But I mean, our kids are not <laughs> stupid. I mean, they, they, can, they can conceptually understand what we're talking about, but like- for example, like here's an obvious one. Uh, like, what's that thing in your pocket? Well, that's my iPhone. Okay, well, the phone used to be a thing where you would sit and you sit in this chair and you talk on the phone or you drag it into the closet so you could have some privacy, but you would never dare make a long distance call, um, you know, before 5 p.m. on Sunday nights. You had to call You had to call at a certain time. My family had a code. I think I don't know if I ever told you this. But to, to let, so, oh my God. This is up until the 80s, okay? My family always did this. Somebody flies somewhere, right? Let's say you're flying home from Florida, you're flying back to Ohio, and what you do is when you arrive, you make a collect call to grandma and grandpa in Florida, and you say, you say, collect the, it's a person-to-person collect call, what is that? Well, I'll tell you, right? <laughs> what does that mean? Well, you make a person-to-person collect call, and you say, could I please speak with John Klump, which was a friend of theirs, 
And they go, oh, I'm sorry, John Klump isn't here. And that let them know that we were alive and had survived the flight without having to spend any money on the call. That sounds totally insane. That was a common thing. And also, uh, or the, the, the various ring codes for how many times you should let it ring, but not pick up so you don't get charged with oh, So you know, it's, you know it's your parents calling or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I do. I do want, like, the reason I wonder if they even intellectually understand it is if you were to give them a quiz and like, or just like a, like a, like a, an essay question. that's like, uh, you know, it's, it's 1977 and you want to watch a television show, explain the steps involved. Our kids I think don't know how not, to open a jar, John. I know, but I think they would, I think they would n- fail to, to, uh, because they would be thinking like, huh. So I, I think I understand something about the seventies. How would you watch a television show? And I guess what you would do is turn the television on. It's like, eh, wrong. Like, what are you doing turning the television on? Well, I'm going to watch the show. Are you? When is the show on? It's like, what do you mean? When is the show on? And then, then they're back. Like they don't understand. Uh, they don't understand Kobayashi the Maru, like, You already got him. Yeah, you got it exactly. It's like <laughs> so. So you, you leave me to understand that the Step newspaper zero is what time in is the, it? in the newspaper. There was something that you would have to look yeah. at to tell you not to tell what the truth is on right time. now. You you can't go watch your program. It's not on now. It's not what's on. What if it's on when you're eating dinner? Uh huh. What, what if it's on when you're in bed? What if it's on on a day when you have soccer practice? Right. What do you? What did you do then? It's like you didn't see the show. You tape it, right? <laughs> well, you could just record it, right? It's like what? <laughs> record it with what? <laughs> record it <laughs> with your eyeball. Someone else could watch it and then tell you sure, about it. Sure, <laughs> sure. That, that's school. That's sixth grade. <laughs> Unless it's Major League Baseball, in which case you can't do no, that. No, without no, the Express Written Consent. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, times change. Uh, hour five. God, it feels later. Ugh, I don't like this sun going down business. I'm not a fan. Yeah, I kind of like it because like, I think it's like the dead of night and I realize it's 545. Mm. I say the same thing to my wife every night at about the same time. When it's about 615, I say, ah, feels like 830. And then it isn't until the words are out of my mouth that I realize I say it every single night. Mm-hmm. Well, you are an older gentleman. They're prone to repeating to repeating themselves. Sometimes what I'll do is around 6.15, I'll just say, ah, it feels like 8.30. <laughs> oh, Jack Benny. He didn't like spending money. <laughs> uh, another mini topic about Fitbit. Uh, we could do a shorty where you talk about more weird things. Uh, you pick one. Pick, pick anything. Uh, yeah, I, I want to clear out some of our secret weird things. There's just a couple here, and I think they're quick, and one of them has to do with winter, which we were just talking oh, about. Oh, yeah, right. Dark. And evil, and I don't. These there, these are at the bottom of the list for a reason. But this is our continuing series uh, where we talk about uh, John and John and Merlin wonder: Are there weird things that only I or we? Is there is there something weird that only really we do? And is there any way ultimately to figure out without talking to other people whether it is a weird thing and whether other people do it? Is can you can you self identify your own weird things? Yeah, and and more broadly speaking. How many secret weird things do people do on average? Does every person have one of them? Do they have five of them? Do they have six hundred? Mm-hmm. Like you know, it it's it's the dark matter of personal interactions that you discover these things maybe when you live with somebody, but maybe not even when you live with somebody. And you just may, and in fact, maybe what you discover when you live with someone for the first time is the secret weird things about yourself and not about them. Anyway, oh, you, I mean, like you absolutely discover these, and and so like just a couple couple quick things, uh, rules of the game for me. Uh, I have so many interesting things about myself, but I have I have left out all the ones that I consider to merely be a superstition or uh, what did I say? What was my rules? Leave out superstition and, and like rituals. But but you can totally see it in other people. 
like um, I was oh, Justin McElroy always talks about how it drives his wife nuts that he doesn't close cabinet doors. Well, it takes two to tango there. On the one hand, it's weird that Justin doesn't close cabinet doors, but I have to say, I also think it's weird to be that concerned about whether the cabinet doors are closed. I don't think it's weird at all. I haven't heard the episode that you're referring to, but let me tell you mm-hmm. why Justin should close his cabinet doors. Tell me. As a person of, of height. <sighs> oh, right. Wow, humble who brag. Who may find himself perhaps uh, opening a lower cabinet to take something out and then standing back up. Mm-hmm. If an Ooh. upper cabinet is left open, <sighs> yes. my head is very, very vulnerable to being mm-hmm. caught on the corner of your open door. And that hurts a lot. Close the cabinet door. And, it is a problem. And, John Sercusa, that also fits into, this is not a specific thing for me, but it undergirds almost all of my secret weird things, which is the superset of, how do I describe this? I should be able to do this in pitch black in the middle of the night and not worry. There should not be a brown Lego here. There should not be children's shoes here. There should not be a cabinet that I can run into here that you should be able to do this without, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there should be an expectation about what happens with something when it's done. When we're done with the hallway for the night, it should be walkable, right? That's maybe I'm old. Sure. Maybe I have to urinate. I definitely have to urinate, (laughs) but it's very important. There not be Legos or children's shoes here or cats. Move the cat. Comb your ears. Move the cat. Speaking of that, have you adopted uh, the sort of premature shuffle? Like, I'm not so old that I have mm-hmm. to shuffle my feet like an old man, but I do intentionally shuffle my feet, my feet oh, yeah. to to like to mitigate the le- Lego issue. Oh, absolutely. Because like, then at least you're pushing the debris out of the way. I found a Lego, John. I found a Lego in the spice rack. La la la. Yeah, I heard, I heard about weekend. that. We, I, it's interesting that you were refactoring your spice rack. We just refactored our spice. Oh, rack. it's been a huge. It's been a huge impact. Huge. Yeah, yeah, that got to have that fun thing where, where as we're doing it, I'm saying, guess the expiration date on this one. Just guess. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, and, I know. And that's our cardamom. That was by, our cardamom. My wife would be off by like a decade. I need that cardamom. <laughs> no, you don't. It's from 2017. We should get rid of that. We should get different cardamom. 2017. Oh, that's nothing. God, we, Luxury. Yeah. We didn't have anything from the 90s, but we did have things from like 2004. Uh, when I helped my mom clean out her house, she had some Nirvana era. This is in the 43 folders days. This is in the 2000s. She did have a Nirvana era salad dressing. Oh, that's no good. No, 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 no. That's no good. That's no, um, no good at all. Uh, so anyway, that's the rules of the game. It's finding out uh, secret weird things. Um, and you know, so Jen and Trent from Friendshipping, somebody mentioned this on Twitter uh, to us recently. They've been, I think they're threatening, at least Jen is threatening to do a show that is about exactly this topic, totally independent of ours. But I'm mm-hmm. looking very forward to a podcast that is just about uh, well, what we're calling secret weird things people do. I think it's called something like, you know, am I the only person who does this or something like that? Yeah, I think the, that I've heard that angle is actually slightly different. It's also interesting mm-hmm. because it's like it's it's this just the dawning of someone realizing, wait a second, this might be a secret weird thing that I do. And to validate that, they want to say, am I the only person who does this? That's like that's like the first stage where you re- you realize this might be a secret weird thing that you do. Yes, and you know, and then you sort of like. You're, you're seeking validation. It's also slightly broader where I would allow, I would allow superstitions and compulsions in that, in that, am I the only person who does that? Yeah. Does I'm, I'm not sure why you're excluding us. You're feel free to exclude whatever you want. I, I, but I guess maybe your list would be too long otherwise, but I oh think my God. like that falls, you know, it's, it's probably a weird thing you do. It's, 
probably secret from other people and that you wouldn't talk about it? I will broaden it and I will try to keep it interesting. Not tonight because I don't have I don't, mm-hmm. my, mine suck tonight. But like I will broaden it and I will bring in some of my bizarre <laughs> my bizarre superstitions and compulsions. A lot of it involves you know what? The same theme. It always involves it often involves like it has to be left in this way. Maybe like you and the remotes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean and obviously the the cheat code for this entire thing is you just get someone else to tell them about, you know, I'm sure your spouse. Oh, knows. I don't want, I do not. I do <laughs> like not. No one, no one oh, ever wants that no, to happen. No, 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 no. But, I don't want to know. I don't want ever, to know. If you ever really wanted to know what are the secret weird things you do, you can't like self identify. That's the whole point. It's, it's very difficult to self identify them, but boy, someone who lives <laughs> with you for a decade or two, oh, they no, no, probably no. got a million of if them. If I only got one wish off that genie boy, I, I it would be, st- please everyone just stop noticing me. Just, st- and you're, n- you're not allowed to talk about me. Like when I'm, <laughs> around or not around or I've been around yeah. you're not allowed to notice me you're not allowed to talk about me and please don't zoom zoom in on my photos yeah you I bet, yeah I bet you are you've got a, a million of them. anyway my one of mine is and the, the reason the only reason I this I think this might be weird is because my wife finds it weird okay and before before she decided that she found it weird I would not have picked it out on my own like if I live by myself I would never have this on the list so this okay. is definitely something that I Never would have thought of. I don't think it's particularly weird, but my wife just absolutely can't believe it. And I do think about it. I'm like, maybe this is not what people do. So uh, going to bed, bed, bedroom is a private place. You're actually going there to sleep. The way people sleep is one of the most sort of least likely to be to be subject to external scrutiny activities in your entire life. Second, only perhaps to going to the bathroom, right? Yes, yes. It's between you and you and you and the bed and the Lord. Yeah, there's a lot of variety there. Of course, we're influenced by the media we see, which often has very little connection to reality, which, you know, is, has always struck me as strange. Like, you know, when you see anybody in bed in any sort of television or movie for the entire history of the media, it's always kind of vaguely, it, it, it's related to reality, but barely, right? So I don't- They never, people never ball that, up but. a pillow. People, they, they, they get into their separate, you know, Robin Laura Petrie twin beds with their pajamas on. They get in with exactly the top. They both have exactly the same tucked over covers. And it does not at all represent the utter chaos of what I do with a bed. I have so yeah. many things involving beds that like are not very photogenic. And their PJs are like freshly ironed. Absolutely. And, yeah. <laughs> and like just ridiculous things like that. And, and even, even in today and even in the modern world, I feel like, the difficult this this gets back to this the fact that the secret weird thing the difficulty of committing to film anything that it, that is actually trying to be truthfully representative of how people sleep is difficult because so many people I think do it differently so even mm-hmm. if you're trying to be like mm. cinema verte like oh whereas like brushing your teeth you can you can feel confident saying that that's what it looks like when people brush they they're in front of the sink they put the toothpaste on there go back and forth in the teeth like it's not rocket science but sleeping mm-hmm. there's such a wide range so they just have to kind of pick what they're going to do you know like so they can try for like we're gonna go for realism but so many people sleep anyway so this is how i sleep um I, this, this is not how i sleep but this is one of the extreme angles that you see referenced in media that you hear some people do and i think it is a secret weird thing that some people do you've heard of all the people who are like who sleep naked and they're not kidding yeah right you've heard of that right what do you mean sleep naked and they're not kidding? What does that mean? Lots of people like, oh, I sleep in the nude. That's some oh, weird, oh, oh, oh. weird 70s yeah, come yeah, online, yeah. Mm-hmm. whatever BS thing. But like, no, people actually sleep totally naked. That's the thing they do. And I think that is I a secret weird that. thing. I don't do it anymore. I do. used to. See, yeah. that boggles my mind. Because A, that would never occur to me. Mm-hmm. B, 
I wouldn't like it. And C, I can't even get in the headspace where it would be on the menu of things to do, let alone a thing that I choose Why? to do. But Why is I that know... so strange? Why is that so, so strange to you? Well, you'll, you'll understand why in a second. Okay. I, but I know that people do it because they say they do it and they're serious. But in general, people don't advertise it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Now, I mean, why? Yeah. It's weird because your, you know, underwear area is less clean than the rest of you. And you really want to be rubbing that on your sheets or whatever. And I just feel like it'll make you have mm. to change. Well, it's or it's it's uh, it's 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 unconventionally. Well, it may not be filthy, it's, it's, but it feels like it's less sanitary. You okay, have to change sure, the sheets sure, sure. Often, mm-hmm. Right. For sure. Anyway, but but setting that aside, that's not the main reason I don't do it. Uh, the main reason I don't do that is comfort. So I'm on the opposite end, uh, end of the spectrum. And I think think this is probably rare and so the, the line item i have here for secret weird things people do is winter pjs winter pjs right? mm-hmm. so what do i wear to bed in the winter what i wear to bed in the winter my wife thinks is insane and i think a few people do this uh in the winter <laughs> in my home mm-hmm. uh what i wear to bed is underwear undershirts thermal bottoms thermal tops sweatpants sweatshirt socks all at once that's all on my body. I went from from the closest layer to the outside. You have three layers. It's, I've, it's it's let's see. You've got the underwear, thermal bottoms, and sweatpants. On the, on the top, you've got the undershirt, thermal top, and sweatshirt, and then one pair of socks. Oh my goodness, that's and that's a I'm lot of layers. A, then I'm underneath a down comforter. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I used to do flannel sheets underneath that, but my wife won't let me anymore. What's that? Uh, it's too hot for her. Too hot for her. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. The reason most people think that's insane is like, all right, well, I don't sleep naked, but I can't imagine sleeping in that much clothing. I need to be looser, freer. I would feel constrained. I would feel like I don't even want that much clothing on my body, period, let alone sleeping in it. Like the, the sleeping is, to most people, I feel like is a looser endeavor where mm-hmm. maybe you have PJs on, but you want to feel less encumbered and have less clothing. Like you're not going to go to sleep in a, in a three-piece suit. And that's what all those layers <laughs> seem like to people. Now that I'd like to see on TV. Yeah. Now, obviously... um. Everything I described is, uh, it's comfortable to me because like sweatpants are very comfortable. Mm-hmm. A big champion sweatshirt is very comfortable and thermals are waffly and soft, right? And socks are just plain old socks. The reason I'm I'm suited up like that is because I'm cold all the time. <laughs> and that's why I've got the down comforter. And so all of that is sufficient to make me be warm and comfortable in my bed in the winter. Okay. Uh, but I think... If anyone saw me getting ready for bedding, putting all that stuff on, like, are you going for a moon landing? What are you, what are you suiting up for? Uh, are you, are you going to sleep outside tonight? Uh, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to people. Uh, and then my wife, a few feet away in the same bed, is always hot, uh, and so you know she's got no down comforter, uh, like a thin blanket, like a normal human amount of pajamas on no socks wow uh, that's another thing people think about sleeping in socks like how can you sleep in socks that's insane i don't i want these things off my feet i can't i would feel like i was suffocating i would feel like you know and and this doesn't bother me at all in fact if i had no socks on my feet would be freezing all night long and i'd constantly be trying to uh find some place where i could make them warm jeez john i i used to be uh, a way over the top cozy guy but i discovered you know from uh I was learning. Uh, your body wants to be cooler at night. Cool, cool is what tells your body it's the sleeping time. I'm not. I'm not trying to talk you out of your layers, but for myself, uh, I always sleep sockless with my feet outside the blanket. That's very important, and uh, I will frequently shed all but a single layer for bedtime. I, I don't like to go com- totally commando either. 
but you're you're a hot sleeper, and I and I think that so is so I'm a hot yeah, hot sleeper. Yeah, yeah. I think that's more like you know the stereotype. The stereotype is, as every stand up comedian will tell you, mm-hmm. the woman is freezing cold and the man is hot. So that's the, man the stereotype has, for sure. Has, yeah. has has one sheet and the woman is all bundled up. Uh, in our family, it's it's the opposite. I'm all bundled up and she's hot. But in, in my experience, that stereotype doesn't have any foundation because for all the couples that I've mm, talked to, it's like it's like foundation. fifty fifty. I don't think there is, though, because, like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this topic, and when I talk to couples, and it's split right down the middle, 50-50, who's going to be the hot one and who's going to be the cold one. I see no trend in either direction. Mm, all right. I th- The reason I think that that stereotype exists is the reason so many stereotypes exist is, like, well, the men have to be macho, so they're, they're the ones who, I don't need no covers. I don't know. This is an ongoing thing at the Cards Against Humanity office, for example. Look, there's a whole Slack channel about the problem with the that's, uh, Yes, that's not sleeping. That's different. I oh, think you're talking there about, is a foundation. Oh, okay, so you're, you're saying... The stereotype, you're what you're calling a stereotype, I think it's biology, uh, it, you're just talking about in terms of bedtime. Yes. The, 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 in, the, the, in the office temperature, I have seen okay. that most women are colder in the office than men. I have seen that trend. It, again, it's not universal. It's not 100% or whatever, but I've definitely no. seen that trend. But when I talk to people about who wears tons of pajamas and who doesn't, who has a down comforter, who doesn't, it's split right down the middle of oh. 50-50, okay. who's hot right. and who's cold. And I don't understand why it's different. Why is sleeping time different? It just, it just, in my experience, it just is. I mean, I, it makes some sense because sleeping is just sort of a different mode that your body is in. Well, I mean, speaking of stereotypes, the stereotype is that like if you're going to go to bed, you have to be warm and cozy and all of these things, and that's fine if that's what your jam is, as it clearly is with multi-layered John. But like, but the 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 science, as I understand it, is that it's the cold, the cool temperature, not cold, but like sixty degrees is what you're really looking for. You're not, you don't want to be, though. you don't want to be trying to sleep in an 80 degree room. That's ridiculous nonsense. 60 degrees. Well, no, it's not. I mean, I can understand there the room being that, you sleep that, like a baby. I understand the room. Well, here's the thing. I don't have any problem getting to sleep. I know I don't want to throw that in your face or anything, but like, this is not a problem that I have. So I'm not solving for that. I you just go out like all a, kinds of ways I, to brag. I really. go out like a freaking light. Uh, right. It doesn't matter. Good for you. Right? Good for you. Um, yeah, I know. I'm just saying. No, I know. Um, I'm just listening. And, and the people who say, oh, the room has to be cool and cold. Like, it's not. The temperature of the room is the temperature of the people. No one wants to be hot when they're sleeping. Like, and, you know, if we, you know, before the air conditioners in, it was like 90 degrees in the house. Like, nobody's comfortable in that, yeah. right? It's but it's not because you have too many or too few cars. Your body temperature is too high. So the question is, how much covers and other crap does it take to get, to make your body temperature a comfortable temperature? Mm-hmm. Right. And for some people, it takes very little. You put a tiny little sheet over them and their their body temperature is already way up. Right. And other people, it takes so much more. They don't produce enough body. Heat. I think it's circulation. I have bad circulation. So my nice warm blood is not circulating to the, all the parts of my body and keeping them warm. So whatever little heat they radiate has to be make sure I catch it mm-hmm. because they're not going to make that much more. But in the end, I think both of our bodies are more or less the same temperature while we're sleeping. It's just, what does it take to get there? And for you, it doesn't take much. Um, and if you put too many covers on, you're way too hot and you get all, you know, you, you can't sleep like that. Nobody can sleep when they're hot. It's not like I'm hot when I'm sleeping. Mm-hmm. I think we're the same temperature. You're, distingu- you're distinguishing between how warm is the environment, how warm or cool is the environment, and how warm or cool is your body. Yeah. And what does it take to maintain that temperature? Because you want to maintain. If you like, we've all had a bit of experience mm, like, yeah. you, oh, I don't think we need the air conditioning tonight. And so you go to sleep and then turns out you totally did because it like got hotter in the night because of some freak temperature change. And now mm-hmm. everyone's sweating and you wake up and you're sweaty. I hate you that. didn't that. You didn't maintain the you temperature. Maintain. And the same thing with mm-hmm. like, I think I just need a sheet tonight, but you're wrong. You leave the window open and then you wake up in the middle of the night and you're freezing to death because that sheet wasn't enough. Right. So you're always looking to do what it takes to maintain your body at the right temperature. 
And I think that right temperature is pretty much the same for all of us. It's just what does it take? What does it take to to get there and stay there? Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. I don't think I don't think this is weird. That that feels like a pretty normal well, preference. Ha, but sure, but have you ever known anyone in real life who who goes to sleep with that much clothing on? No. Uh, not that I'm aware so, of. I mean, you so might that, as well be in a three-piece suit. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's way more comfortable, obviously. Again, no, I just very comfortable. It's very, it's very comfy these, and snuggly. Today's active lifestyles, there's all kinds of revolutions in fabric and, and tailoring. Mm-hmm. You could probably get, you know, a waistcoat and, and, a, and a blazer that would look good, mm-hmm. like w- with a tasteful necktie. When, when I was a kid, I had an electric mattress pad. That was... You had an electric mattress Oh, for, for making... One of those, like, wiry ones, like an electric blanket kind of thing? Yeah, it was a little bit more modern than that, but it was oh, basically God. the same idea. My grandparents the, the, had an electric blanket that was terrifying. It was just... Yeah. It was, like, the thinnest, like, like almost like a piece of felt. It was like sleeping in wires. a toaster. Well, kind of, but with wires running through it. Yeah, no, that's how the, where the heat comes from. My God. Yeah, so I uh, I didn't have the thing I didn't have as a kid. I just I didn't have the down comforter technology for whatever my reason. My parents didn't believe in buying down comforters, mm-hmm. so hmm. I did not get in there. Down comforters I fully endorse. I cannot live without them. I think I think I, you know there's so many things you realize as you get older, and you know what your parents you know did to do their best for you. And like truthfully, I feel like it, there's so many things in my life that can be explained by SNH green stamps. Like, why did we have that thing and not that thing? I think a lot of it's SNH green stamps and, uh, or whatever the other one was. There was the other one too. But, uh, you know, it used to be you go to the store, you go to, you know, uh, Kroger or whatever, and you buy stuff and you'd get a certain number of these little coupons that you put into a book. And when you had enough, you could go to a store and buy stuff with those coupons. Right. Did you did your family do these? Did your family do? I've SNH? never heard of SNH green stamps. I understand the what's thing the other, you're describing. What's the one you're familiar with? I don't know. I don't. My parents were not big coupon people. The, wow! The most wow! Wow! Okay. Yeah. The most experience no, 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 I have no, your with coupons taken. Is, no. Well, I mean, it's just because they <laughs> you could they, sleep anywhere and you're rich. All right. They couldn't. They couldn't be bothered. I mean, so like when we were first married, my wife was heavily into the coupon game. So yeah. I have experience with what you're talking about. And it is a game. I think a lot of people do it because they just like, the, they do like the it game of it. Par- I mean, when you first married, we had no money. So no, that was legitimately like, that's, but you're, you're very motivated to clip coupons when you have no money. But it's also, even if you have money, just kind of a thing that some people just like to do. So Absolutely. even t- today, we don't have to clip coupons. My wife is still kind of into, to a slight fault, all of those things that make you think you're finding some way to save money when really such a racket such a racket yes i know but but i I understand the attraction to it and yes so if you're if you're in that mode like the whole deal is you will find yourself buying things that you otherwise wouldn't buy because you have a coupon so i'm very familiar with that phenomenon that's that's how they get you that's how they get you snh green stamps were a line of trading stamps popular in the united states from the 1930s until the late 80s distributed as part of a rewards program operated by sperry and hutchinson company uh, da, 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 promote its rewards catalog as being the largest publication in the United States, CDLED. Yeah, so you get these. So I mentioned this because, wow, look at those super, those saver books. Um, I mentioned it because uh, there were a lot of things that I think we got in our house because of things like this. So we had this, our blankets when I was a kid were very upsetting. They were like kind of like almost like foam. You know what I mean? That That like, it wasn't like a... Army blanket. The, the scratchy, like, Muppet fur fuzzy Not stuff? Not scratchy, but, like, it's very light. Like, very light in weight. Do they have a, a, a satiny, silky trim along the edge? It felt... it. Uh, yes, 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 yes. It absolutely did. Yes. Yeah, I think I know the kind of blanket you're Oof. talking about. 
Yeah, not a fan. They were not good blankets. Not good. No, not we, good I mean, at we all. had them too. I think those were a 70s thing. Oh, we had they were. No, those. no, they for sure. And they a lot of sure ours were. were like orange or olive green. <laughs> I think ours were light blue, but like, I, you know, yeah, also, I don't understand what people, like the pillows that people use, like judging by like, whether it's an Airbnb or a hotel or just staying with a friend, it's like, I don't understand what people tolerate with pillows. Yeah, pillows, pillows are pillows are weird. Like I don't, I don't think it's a secret th- weird thing people do, but I think the variety, and I think it has a lot to do with upbringing. Like people mm. don't understand what op. I mean, maybe podcast listeners do. Podcast listeners perhaps know what options are available to mm-hmm. them when it comes sure. to pillows. <laughs> but many people who just live their life as you can like get the one made out of husks or the one made by the Christian guy. You have all yeah. Yeah, there are options. I, I mean, I'm I'm sleeping on a podcast pillow right now that is different than any pillow I had ever experienced. It's like. This weird ass engineered pillow. I go back and forth. I like. I, I have. I have a podcast pillow that I like, but I also have one of those like Swedish hybrid, mm-hmm. like slightly too costly pillows that I really mm-hmm. super like. Yeah, my wife has uh, recently gotten into the pillows. You know, again, getting the temperature thing with the cooling side. You know about the cooling side of the pillow, like a McDLT. Yeah, hmm. there's there's like a there's like a cooling gel in the pillow. So you, so your head doesn't feel hot. The devil you say. I need to explore that. I, I don't know if it actually does anything, but the people who buy them believe that it like wicks heat away from your face so you're uh, not sweaty okay. on hot nights. I get Obviously, it. I, get I have it. no interest yeah. in this pill. But I mean, like, you know, even in like a pretty nice hotel, and you know, we're supposed to love pillow. <laughs> hotel pillows, please. Oh, come <laughs> on. It's like, it's like a cushion from somebody's, a couch in somebody's basement. I don't know what they are. What are like, you I, thinking? It, I, I wonder, I, whenever I see a hotel pillow, I'm like... Is there anybody who can find a comfortable position with no, this pillow? Like no. literally anybody? You could you could roll it up and fit it into a handbag. And and, and they're like they're like prime numbers because mm. it's like one of them is never <laughs> enough, but two somehow is too many. Like it's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible to like you get a pillow hash. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's no they're not evenly divisible by humanity. Like there is no there's no human that can sleep on an integer number of these pillows in any arrangement whatsoever. So you yeah. just you have to choose how uncomfortable you're going to be and which part of your neck is gonna hurt the next morning. I don't like to think about it at all. I don't. I just don't care for it. Yeah, but but anyway, at home, I'm excited by advances in pillow technology, and I had kind of like middling pillows that were very much like the pillows I grew up with. Yeah, I think basically until my wife started innovating in her pillow space. I think it was like back when she was pregnant, and we had the various pregnancy pillow arrangements. There's all sorts of people who haven't been pregnant or known anyone who's pregnant. Oh yeah, that's a that's a hard needle to thread is being yeah. pregnant. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah, there's 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 some pillow. Uh, technology involved in being pregnant and being able to get to sleep, which uh, I, you know, I didn't know about, and I don't think my wife knew about it until we were in it. And then it's like, yeah, there's a system here, and we have to derive you better, it. You so better that you learn can, it, yeah, so that for you can sure. Sleep, yeah. There's um, a lot but, of uh, podcast things I have, and like a lot, I will not name names, but like we have podcast sheets that mm-hmm. I really like. Uh, I like my podcast pillow. I have two podcast clothing sources that I schmooper like. It's been it's been good to me. And like here's the funny part. Yeah, it started with like, okay, here's a hundred dollars in credit at this place. But the truth is, like, I've spent way more than that on oh, yeah, some no, of these all, things. All of my podcast pillows I bought with no discount whatsoever, just with my own money. I have and I have multiples. I did the multiple thing. Like I'm sleeping in my original and I have two fresh spares waiting to go. Well, the other kind I don't know if it's the same kind of podcast pillow I'm talking about, but but it involves uh husks of buckwheat. I have I have one of those and I I liked it way more than I thought I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, also, I've I've bought more than one so that I can try super loading the pillow just to mm, see what it's yes, like, yes. which can be very messy. But yeah, 
but worth it. Yeah, you know, because uh, I might switch to that eventually, like because I didn't dislike it, but I kind of like my other podcast pillow better. That's a good summertime pillow, and it's it's like changing. You ever switch between uh, a blade and an electric razor? And there's that weird. I, I do all the time. I do every week. I switch between blade and electric. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a secret weird thing. This people is don't think absolutely that a secret weird thing. Why do you do it, that? Not. I shave with a blade once a week on the weekend. I shave with electric razor every other day or every every day besides the one I shave with the blade. That's insane. No, it's not because the reason I do. <gasps> you want one really, really tight, good weekly shave and then you do a maintenance trim on the weekdays. <laughs> maintenance? Who are you kidding? No. Well, that's, that's right. You're that's very not... hairy and moist. <laughs> yeah. I do a full, complete, absolutely needed shave with the electric every workday morning because it takes less time and I don't have a lot of time in the morning because mm-hmm. I'm not a morning person. That's why I'm using an electric. And on the weekend, I had the luxury of shaving with a razor, but usually that's I- That's not killing your skin? But usually I don't shave at all huh. on like Saturday because that's a non-shave day. It's daddy's day. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to deal with that, right? So yeah, Sunday, Sunday I had the luxury of taking my time to do a, a, a blade shave. Hmm. Uh, and also I think I feel like a blade shave goes better after I haven't shaved for a day. So things are longer. You oh, know? totally, totally agree. Shaving every day used to be the worst. I used to shave every day with a bic and my, my neck was always covered with bumps. The worst. Yeah, no, that, no, that's no good. <laughs> I think I, I th- maybe I've told the story before, but someone who was on my floor freshman year got so, so much of my life is influenced by people who are on my floor, my dorm freshman year. So it's a very <laughs> important year in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the people on my floor, uh, my dorm freshman year, uh, he was like me. Very, very, lots of facial hair, dense facial hair, thick facial hair, <laughs> like each each strand of hair was like a tree trunk, uh, very much like uh, my my hair, but his face was even bigger than mine. And he dry shaved every day oh with a bick. Oh, my God. Dry shaved with a bick on, on this type of hair. I can't even Ugh. imagine or understand how he had any skin left on his body. Like, I don't. That's like, horrible. I would watch him do it. I'm like, what are you? Like, like you know that you've got options, right? Shaving cream work is just for a reason. I swear to you. What? what you will have a happier this, life. Who did this to you? Like, what is wrong with you? I don't know. Uh, Some, I don't understand it. To, anyway, so yeah, that's my shaving cream. Electric, it's so much faster. You mm-hmm. don't have to do the shaving cream. You you can do it while half paying attention and like running around doing other things. Like, just the magic of electric shave. It's I worse guess. than blade shave. Absolutely, it's worse. But uh, that's what I do. And the reason the reason I adopted the electric shaver was for that reason, because shaving with a regular blade took so much more concentration and time. Mm-hmm. And you're not a morning person. Yeah. And I, and I when I shave with my uh, razor blade, I shave in the shower, which I totally endorse. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash diffs make your next move with squarespace because squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain award-winning templates and so much more maybe you'd like to create an online store perhaps some kind of a graphic portfolio or a blog not a problem you can do all of this because squarespace is an all-in-one platform lets you do whatever you need to do there's nothing to install no patches to worry about no upgrades are ever needed You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because Squarespace has got it covered. And they also have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed 
for you to show off your great ideas. I'm a huge fan of Squarespace. I use them for the Roderick on the Line podcast. I use them for my personal uh, sites. And, and I'm frequently um, surprised and amazed to notice how many people uh, I respect and admire are using Squarespace for their site. And you wouldn't even know it until you scroll down or you, you look at the source code and you discover that uh, so many great minds today are using Squarespace. Get your great mind into Squarespace because the plans start at just $12 per month. But you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. When you decide to sign up, use that offer code diffs. That'll get you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And it will show your support for reconcilable differences. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash diffs. Offer code diffs for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Love a wet shave. Big fan. You have to. Again, if you got facial hair like mine, it's like night and day. You try to, like, you get out of that shower. Talk about moisture. You just got to get water, water, water. Just make make it as wet as you can. Yeah. You you need the steam. Mm -hmm. You need the heat. Like, my hair, as soon as it gets out of the shower, it, like, like re-solidifies into, like, Mm. iron. (laughs) Just need to Well, I got a whole thing when I shave, and I I don't like to shave. I, I prefer not to shave. But when I do, huh? Well, you know, I'm a good looking guy. Every time I see a picture, you got, like, Four days growth. Well, something like that. But uh, yeah, no, I, I get in there. And the first thing I do when I get in, I got a whole process. If I'm going to shave, well, first of all, I uh, I got a shower mirror that I have to replace constantly because even though no one is supposed to yes, touch it, God. no <laughs> one is supposed to, it's not a toy. It's not mm-hmm. a plaything. You don't take it in the other room. You don't cut up bumps of cocaine on it. You don't do anything with my shave. It's just for me and my face. But of course it's in public. So now it's everybody's. Whatever. So I stick mm-hmm. that, I run hot water in the sink, and I stop up the sink, and I put the... Do you have, by the way, a shaving mirror that you like? It's okay. It's, I don't love it. It's all right. Do you have one you like? I've never found, I've never found oh, one that I like. I keep garbage. going through them. Yeah. They keep breaking. Yeah. Yes. All right. And fine. so I fill up the know. sink, and I put it, put the shaving mirror, which is, you know, plastic-y. plasticky. It's reflective plastic, basically. Mm-hmm. And I put it into the hot water in the sink, I fill, I have a rubber shaving mm-hmm. mug that I fill with very, very hot water. First thing I do when I get in the shower, I, I put water on my face and then I put on a layer of inexpensive shaving cream. And now that's going to be on you do, there. You do the shaving first. You get in the no, shower no. and you're shaving your face no, no, first? No, no, Listen, listen. All right, I put I the, it, I wet my face, I put on the shaving cream. Then I wash mm-hmm. my hair. You wash your hair with shaving cream on your face? I wash my hair with really? shaving. There's two applications, John. There's a, there's, a, there's a primary and a secondary application. How do you wash your hair without accidentally removing a lot of that shaving cream from your face? It doesn't matter. Because mm-hmm. you're going to do a second. The thing is the water. Sure, you're going to do a second. But the first one, like how long does that last before the spray gets it off your face? As long as it gets. And I wash my parts mm-hmm. and I wash my mm-hmm. hair. And then I do, I do more water on the face. And that's when I do the all-important second application of the mm-hmm. shaving cream. I take all the, the old stuff off. one that counts because the rest of it's gone. Well, of course it's gone. I get it all off. And then all hot water, hot water, hot water. <laughs> I'm Another application. I'm not, sh- I'm not <sighs> sure of the wisdom of the first application. It's I understand very wise. It. It's extremely wise. And I don't have an iron face like you. But it's affording me a lot of moisture. My God. This is, this is a secret <sighs> weird thing you do, by the way. Putting this is not secret and not weird. For, it's extremely normal and rational. We have just oh discovered my. a secret weird thing that you do, which is nope. you put nope. shaving cream on your face, yep. then you wash your hair and your body, I do. I do. then you rinse the, what's left of that shaving cream off, and then you put another one on. Gotta that do is it, because you got to do second, second layer. 
Second you application. You you didn't even know, but I'm absolutely telling you that is a secret weird thing that it's you do. It's not weird. It's not weird. It makes it makes no 100% one is seeing sense. it because you're in the shower and you're in the bathroom, but that is totally it weird. It makes all of the sense, and that way I've super moisturized my face. The first layer mm-hmm. is a sucker layer title, mm-hmm. but the second the second layer is where the action really happens. Because at this point now, I've been in the steam. I've been in there five six minutes at this point. I'm clean all over. Mm-hmm. I've washed my hair. I've got, I've got, I've sealed in the moisture and I t- take all the shaving cream off and I say, this is it. Now it's on. And now I put on the mm-hmm. real layer. Now I check the water in my, my rubber uh, shaving mug, make sure it's still hot. If not, I get fresh. Now you take the mirror whoa, out whoa, of the whoa. sink. This is, this is not a weird thing. This is just an inefficiency. If sometimes the water isn't mm. hot, you have to think, why am I filling the mug at that point? Why don't I just fill well, it? Well, I used to uh, use a kettle. It... I used to use a kettle and I would do it at the lowest kettle setting. That's also like weird. Real hot. It's not weird. It's also weird. Nope. Absolutely you need heat weird. Water, water, and heat. That is how you <laughs> shave the face. Absolutely weird. It's I, not weird. I'm telling you. No. Of the people listening I'll ask, to this I'll ask program, my wife. I'll ask my wife if it's, if it's I'll weird. I'll be amazed if there is a single other person who uses an electric kettle to heat up the water for their shaving well, like mug. It's nice and hot. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. I'm not yeah. saying it's dumb. No. I'm saying it makes sense, yes. but it is weird. No. And it is secret. No. <laughs> it is a secret <laughs> weird thing you do. <laughs> This is what I'm saying. Any any actual reasonable examination uh-huh. of what you do in real life is okay. going to reveal a million of these no, things. Not really. <laughs> not really. You specifically, what are you not talking one. About? No, you specifically, because you no, you're full of weird things that you really do. Weird. No, it's it's about it's about heat, mm. moisture, moisture, and heat. It's not. And then I all shave. Right. Anyway, so so continue. No, done. That's pretty much it. That's all the interesting parts. And I, I treat myself to a new internet uh, podcast razor blade. Mm-hmm. Um, I never do more than two, usually only one, because I don't shave that often and I want it to count. I, I, I only do one. I use a blade and I throw it away immediately. Oh, yeah. It's worth it. And well, also, I got- Because my face defeats that blade. <laughs> I got a Phillips, I got a Phillips uh, trimmer, and if it's been a while, if it's been like a week since I shaved, I first do a trim before I get in. That's interesting. Like, I've always, I, I'm always lo- interested in the optimal length before shaving with the two different ways that I shave. Uh, I can tell you the easy one is if it's too long, don't bring an electric mirror. You're just gonna it's just gonna end in tears. Like uh, you can't electric cannot tackle. Is long it you? Hair. Ha- you are really you are you're like a uh, like a mutant. No, no, and like like, like a uh, like a uh, X Men type mutant. Not a beard trimmer, but like you know the there's two different kinds of major kinds of electric. One is the oh spinny no no ones. not like a Norelco. more like yeah, a, like and a, the, and the other one, one is of the other one is the vibrate one, which is like the brawn. I got a vibrate one, like a Phillips, mm-hmm. like well, like a brawn where there's a there's a foil and underneath the foil is a thing going back and forth. Yeah, no, I'm talking about I'm talking about the scissors, like fast scissors, fast yeah, short scissors. Yeah, beard trimmer is what you're beard thinking. Beard trimmer is what I'm thinking of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that obviously is supposed to be long. It's so for trimming anyway. a beard, yeah. For for electric, if it's too short, electric's not going to do anything because they suck. And if it's too short, it's like electric's like, oh, you're already done. Well, also, electric is the opposite of uh, blade because blade is wet, wet, wet. Whereas mm. razor, like shaver, is dry, dry, dry. And in fact, there are, uh, my electric, all my electric ones work wet. Uh, I don't, don't use want them that, that though. You don't want it wet. You want it dry and hard. You want to put, I haven't don't have a lot of experience with the bronze style. I got one of those for my son. I don't know if they work better wet. I can tell you the Narok ones do not work better wet. You want to get like some actual Williams electric shave. You put that on. You want to stiffen that beard up to get a good a good a zzz kind of kind of shave. You're going to need that to be real hard. Yeah, and so with the blade, I feel like again too short with the blade. It feels like you're missing out on something. Like you, some of them might escape you because they're just so darn short. Like you, yes, you yes. shouldn't be shouldn't be too short. Um, and there also is a too long for the blade. Obviously, if you have a full beard and you say, I'm going to take a blade of this one, no, good no, luck, because no, no, you're going to no. have some problems there. That's, where- that's the thing. It's like you're going to root. So always start with the most difficult part, 
because you and so you start with start with uh, basically like the uh, sideburns area and the upper beard. Then I move to the underbeard, right? So the thing is, like, that's where you're going to need the most, you know, mass cutting power. And then you get into the crevasse and you get into the little difficult parts. I think this is, it's not a weird thing, but I think everybody's uh, men, as all we know about here, for talking about face, face hair shaving patterns. Where mm-hmm. do you start and where do you finish? Mm. I think there's not a lot of consistency. Cause, well, uh, there, there is science. There's science you're, to tell you're you saying how to do you go, this. You're saying you have sideburns, the neck. That's science. What is, what, is your, what is your pattern? Just go through it. Okay. So I start up here by the sideburns. Mm-hmm. Right, and I, I may trim that with the beard trimmer for it's been a while. I'll go zzz, 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 and like kind of kind of take the edge off, get the big mm-hmm. major sideburn part off. I do sideburn. Are you doing right sideburn then left sideburn? Like you doing symmetrical? I not first important. I do one side, not then science. Do the other? Not science. Mm. Nope. And then I find so, this upsetting. Well, could be some science, and then I, I do those, and then uh, I, I tend to do the far back beneath the ear part. I do that kind of next. Then mm-hmm. I like to go over the chin part and the cheek part. Then I go to the under the throat the area. Wait, the chin part and the, are you counting? Well, this part here under where my mouth ends. Right, but are you continuing on to the neck from there, or are you uh, stopping? I don't remember. I feel like I feel How like I like to this? get that there before I go under, and then I finally I do the nose, the mustache area, and the side mouth uh, last. Hmm. I don't know you if that's You didn't mention science. the neck at all. Most of my hair is on my neck. There's <laughs> a lot of... <laughs> what there, are you can, doing there the can neck? be... No. I, I, well, you know, I'm not married to that. I'm still of two minds about whether you should go uh, with or against the grain. That's weird that you don't that you don't have a, a like a definitive pattern for all the other things that you have like either a ritual and a place no, for. You're right, like, I do, I do. My no. pattern is so set in stone for my entire life. I don't know where it came from. But you shave more than I do because you have a work. Yeah, I suppose. But no, I'm talking about the blade. The oh. blade shaving. Yeah, but I mean, like, you, you do it more is what I'm saying. You've probably, yeah, even though you're I a suppose. younger man I mean, than once I. A, once a week, right? But, blade. no, but just in general shaving. You have a, this is more of a pattern. I, 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 mean, I don't know where my pattern came from. I do know there is a method to where I start. The method to where I start is I always start with the mustache, which sounds like, why would you start in the mustache? Mm. Isn't that a relatively easy place to do it? My thought, and I remember thinking this when I was, you know, just starting to shave as a teen, is... Yeah. When I start to shave with a fresh razor, that's the sharpest it's ever going to be. I know. What I, part I, of my I face do I, I want to be? I understand and respect that. I actually really do. Yeah. What, what part do I want to be the cleanest shaven mm-hmm. underneath my nose? Is right. I want to be the cleanest. So I do the mustache area first. Then I do the sort of, uh, you know, the little, the chin area, like underneath my lip and the front of my chin. Right. Mm-hmm. Then, like, and I just don't go on to the neck. I just like from the bottom of my lip to the bottom of the, my chin, like where your dimple would be on your chin. Mm-hmm. Right. Then I go... From way down below my neck, where my hair starts, unfortunately, upwards to my chin. So now I have like a strip basically going from my nose mm. all the way down to my neck that is done. And I Whoa, and I, I this do, sounds efficient. And I do the I do the mustache down. Like okay, you were saying like I don't know whether to go for or against mustache. My I go, mustache I go down except for the super corners. And the super corners on the mouth side, I, I, I have to get in there to get those little guys out. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to, you know, but mm-hmm. it, you have to be tricky. So my hair is such that if I, like, if you if someone told you me, I'll give you $1,000 if you shave upwards on your mustache, I'm not sure I'd be physically be able to do it without dying of blood loss. Like, I don't think, yeah. like, it's not possible, right? Yep, so anyway, yep, yep, now yep, I've yep. got the strip. Then I do uh, upwards from the neck. Like, now I'm going to do all the neck from, they're going to do left and the right so that I go to my jawline, from the neck up to my jawline on the left and from the neck up to my jawline on the right. Then I'm going to do uh, from my chin area 
upwards to my sideburns and then back behind the ear. Same on the other side, upwards from the sideburns, then back, then back behind. It's, it's complicated, but it never changes. I never deviate from that pattern. That is how I, I shave. And then, and then you're, the we don't, place where we match is the final thing is check the mouth corners. There's always crap there. You gotta find some way to get that at some weird angle that you think you're never supposed to shave at. Yeah, you get a little putting green. You get a little bit of putting green in there. It's gonna need some extra uh, scaping. Yeah, and and they're and they're not easy to get. And you gotta go at some weird angle, and you're looking at it weird, and you're making funny faces, and you gotta get the thing. Yeah, or I draw my glasses. Sometimes on. I'll do it's a hard. second pass. But. Yeah. Well, sometimes I'll have to. I'll get out. No, I make, I, you know, I like going like, God, I'll get out and dry off and everything. And then I'll go, hey, I need another pass at that. And you realize you did a crap job because yeah. you weren't paying attention or your mind was wandering and you just got to, you just got to do it over again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lesson in mindfulness. Yeah. And the only, the only <laughs> other weird thing is here is a secret weird thing I do. Yeah. And the shaving thing. Okay. Uh, um, you, you've seen me. I have a gigantic Adam's apple. It's a problem for well, shaving. Gigantic? <laughs> no. Like, Women complain about shaving knees, and I get it. Yes. Uh, or yeah, But uh, Adam's apple is like a knee for your neck, only it's worse because I feel like it's more sensitive <laughs> and it's harder to see and the skin down there, right? So yes. when I shave in the shower, I don't even attempt to do the tip of my Adam's apple mm-hmm. because I can't. Because first of all, you can't actually physically shave it with the razor. Like you will cut your skin off and like, you know, shave your trachea down. Like just don't even try it, right? The only technique you can have is shift the skin, right? Which is all well and good, except when you're in the shower, everything's wet and slippery. Yep. You can't shift the skin. You can't shift. All right. So I shift as much of the skin as I can and I shave and I know every single time I get out, as I dry off, I'm going to look in the mirror and see this tiny little tuft of hair on the middle of my Adam's apple. And then Did with you just my... leave it there for good luck or do you go back in? No. And then with my dry hands okay. that can actually grip uh, the skin. Yes, 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 yes. I pull that sucker over yep. and I go, put the shaving cream, dab of shaving cream and go, shoop, shoop, yep, shoop, yep. shoop. That's, my, that's the last step. Try, try, uh, try putting on the shaving cream when you first get in the shower next time. And then letting, and then washing my hair with. Then you wash your hair. Like, wash your hair. <laughs> no, don't I'm wash your hair too do much that. because you're teaching it to need shampoo. I mean, and here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. We haven't talked about shower steps or whatever, but I do my hair first, right? <laughs> you know what I wash after my hair? Uh, I'm guessing you go in an opposite direction the way you would turn screws, right? No, I, w- I wash my face. Oh, you're going all using my gravity. My face is the second thing that I wash. Right. If I had shaving cream all over it, I'm about to wash well, my you're whole doing face. It wrong. My you, you whole do it wrong. face and my ears and my like the, my whole face. Yeah, no, that's not right. You're fighting science. Totally you're, right. you're winning with gravity, but you're losing with science. No, you, you, you your initial uh, application of shaving cream is a secret weird thing that you do. It's brilliant, is what it is. It's science, and it, it may be brilliant, like it may be brilliant, but it's a secret weird thing that you do. It's it's basically sealing in all of that moisture. It's it's just it's a huge amount of bioavailable moisture, and it's so important. The ket- the kettle probably tops that for weirdness. I don't but do I it. Like the- I don't do it really anymore. But you have done it. It depends on how hot the water is. I don't, wanna, don't bring electricity into the the bathroom. You things. don't bring electricity in. You know, I don't think <laughs> the kettle the kettle is not. It's not the natural I environment for the kettle in the bathroom. I'm not an animal. <laughs> it's like, it, you just you just put that in your electric blanket right on top of the bathtub. And I bring and a hoagie. Set. I have a hoagie while I'm waiting for the water to almost boil. Yeah. Yeah. You're no John Ryder. I rub, <laughs> rub it on my neck. And then I cover the hoagie with shaving cream. It's not weird. 